Father, I would pray specifically for William today that he might be given the words to express his story, particularly as it pertains to him being uh, put into an institution and held for a couple of weeks. And I would pray that those who listen may understand the truth about what he's saying in terms of the coercive powers of the state and those connected to the power centers in our society and their willingness to use mental institutions to deal with and push back and even silence those who are speaking the truth. And I would hope that as those who listen understand that they would recognize that we are all at risk of experiencing this type of blowback on us should we step out of line. And I'm so grateful for my life experiences that have taught me the truth about these matters and the research that I have done. And I would pray that those who are earnestly seeking for the truth might come to understand that it's so much more than just accusing someone of being mentally ill and then locking them away so that they can no longer speak out. And Father, I pray that thy spirit might pour down upon this show and anyone who listens, that they might feel thy love and thy spirit in their day-to-day lives. And I say these things in the name of my Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen. The scripture from today comes from the Doctrine and Covenants, the first section, section 1, verse 3. And the rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow, for their iniquities shall be spoken upon the housetops, and their secret acts shall be revealed. The song today is Families Can Be Together Forever sung by me. Together forever, you have. 
this plan. I always wanted to be with my own family. And although there's so many I can, the Lord has shown me how I The Jenny Hatch Show. Welcome, welcome. Yesterday I interviewed William Bonatati and we had a great conversation. And as we were winding down, um, I just said, why don't we continue the conversation tomorrow? So today's show is dedicated to telling the rest of William's story. He hasn't, but my guess is he'll be along soon. Oh, there he is. Welcome, William. How are you doing? Today's show is going to zero in on the mental health system. And so um, William's going to share his story and I'm going to share my story because I feel like it's important that we, we flesh out what happened to us. So William, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Jenny. Hey, did you uh, sing earlier? I couldn't get on the call in until right now. What Did you sing and I missed it? Yeah, I did. I, I did a little devotional. I like to pray and then share a scripture and then sing just to kind of set the mood. So yes, I did. But no worries. Um, the scripture I read, you might be interested in this. It's It's a Mormon scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants, section one, verse three. And it says, and the rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow for their iniquities shall be spoken upon the housetops and their secret acts shall be revealed. Mm. So this is a prophecy about people speaking on the housetops. What would that look like? Would that look like maybe a connection to the satellites up in the sky and then those sins being yelled out by people like us? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it, I think it does. So how are you doing today? I'm okay. Um, I'm just so disappointed I missed your singing last couple of times. I, I I don't know why I can't get on sometimes, but anyway, we're here. So yep. uh, in spirit, I was uh, praying because uh, this, this can be traumatic just discussing it. It is. It know? is for me, for me too. And I wanted to say, you know, I know I've sent you a lot of information. I appreciate what you're doing and how I, I'm empathetic to how a lot of this must push your buttons. Because obviously, what are we dealing with? You know, the church. Well, and, I, I don't like to talk about it all the time. People really don't like to hear it. When I started yeah. publishing articles about satanic ritual abuse in 2011, mm. I lost 90% of my followers on wow. my blog. And I had gotten my blog up to 40,000 unique visitors a month wow. with hundreds of thousands of hits. And they just, it was like, swoosh, they were gone. And, wow. it, and it's because this topic is so dark and mm -hmm. disturbing to many people. It doesn't matter whether you're a person of faith or not, it's disturbing. And so it's oh, yeah. difficult to talk about, but I would like to set the tone for the show by yeah. just point, pointing something out that not a lot of people think about. When you go to an institution where you're incarcerated 24 hours a day, and I don't care whether it's a mental institution 
or a prison or a boarding school, daycare center, a nursing home. If it's an institution that houses people 24 hours a day, you have three sets of staff. The first set is the, the people that show up from eight to four. Those are your professionals, people who have degrees. They're the doctors and nurses and mental health professionals and those who are in charge during the day. And when those people are in charge, the institution I think generally runs pretty well. And they go home at night thinking, okay, I've done my job, I'm gonna go enjoy my life, get my nice paycheck, end of story, I'm part of something wonderful. But then you have two other staffs and I don't want to disparage anybody for their life's work. And I know this is many, many people, millions of people who are nighttime staff during the four to midnight or the midnight to eight uh, part of the the night, you know, so I, I understand that there are legit, wonderful people working in those institutions. I'm not, I'm not dogging them with my words, but I would suggest to you that just about every institution with nighttime staff, that is where your problems crop up in terms of the abuse of those who are being incarcerated. And the first night that I ended up at a state mental institution at the tender age of 21 in a psychotic state within hours of me being admitted to that state mental institution, this was Clinton Valley Center in Pontiac, Michigan, 1989. I was being gang raped by four of the orderlies. Oh, I'm so sorry. And what what I've come to believe, William, is that especially in mental institutions, they try to traumatize you the first night so that if you have any other mental symptoms because of that particular trauma, you can just blame it on the overall distress you're in. And so I do think there's a pattern there of nighttime staff when they have the opportunity, just going in and messing with people in a million different ways. And then, oh, this is just, you know, the, the, the psychosis she's in. I did not remember that assault for 12 years. Wow. And I had symptoms of it every year on the anniversary of around when that happened, which was Easter. Every Easter, I would just melt down and not know what was wrong until I started to piece it back together. So my point is that if you have a loved one who's in distress and you're thinking, you're just thinking about putting them in that mental health situation for troubled teenagers, or you're thinking about putting your elderly parent in an institution 24 hours a day, my message to you is if you truly love them, don't do it. I don't care how bad your day-to-day life is with that person as part of your, your household. Don't do it. Keep them close by. Hold them. Nurture them through their troubles. Do not believe that an institution is going to fix anything that's wrong with that person you love that you can't provide for them right there at home. And then work through your problems and you will have a happier time long-term as a family than if you send your loved one into an institution and they get raped and bullied and beaten and drugged and come out and they are 10 times worse than when they went in. That's my own personal experience and that's what I'd like to set as the foundational truth for this show. So what are your thoughts? Well, boy, that puts a lot of thoughts coming forward. The first thing my thought is about with what you finished with, there's a pituitary network, Linda Rio, like helps people understand in her work, 
where she's written a couple books with doctors on the dynamic in the family of those who've been sexually abused and how who have mental illnesses and how it affects the other people in the family and how they can interrelate. But he, she is a marriage and family therapist, you see. So the first thing, like you said, is to keep the family together. And that's very difficult, obviously, for for other people in the family who uh, you got to keep in mind, a lot of mental illnesses are caused by incest. Well, and this so, is the issue. What if the family's yeah. the source of the problem? Right. And so then there's a catch-22 for people like you and I. It's like staying in the family dynamic is just as sick sometimes or worse. In other words, my, your experience in the mental institution can be akin to what you experienced at home. And it's just more, more, more traumatization. It's like, where do you go? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I'm um, sympathetic to the person who has a loved one who is a criminal or an addict or, you know, just in a, ma- a manic or a psychotic state. That That is not a good place to be. But if you can possibly keep them home, I believe that is where they will they will be safer. Now, the nuances of the satanic ritual abuse or the institutional abuse by religion, religious or civic leaders, that you're part of that network. This is the most difficult thing to pull yourself out of mm-hmm. as the individual. And I, you know, I've pulled myself out of that, but it was literally an act of God clawing my way first to sanity. And then to, you know, finding my own network, my own life, my husband, my kids, my friends, that's completely divorced from what I grew up with in Detroit. And I had to get out of Detroit. That was one thing I was very clear about. I had to remove myself from my home territory. It was not safe for me to be there. Mm. Yeah, well, um, wow, I had so many thoughts cascading again when you were saying that. Um, Part of the problem, uh, as you said, because of the network, where, and this dovetails into my incarceration and widening CVH, which, by the way, had just walked off 34 employees to direct patient abuse and those who knew who didn't report. And so right on the heels of that, I get incarcerated there and we discussed what pretty much what got me to that point yesterday for anyone who doesn't know. So we don't have to spend a lot of time going into that. But but the, I want to talk on the psych evals that landed me in there and the cover-ups to cover up for the tr- the, the network you're talking about. The part of the problem is the civil authorities are part of the cover-up for the churches, for, say, I was fighting authority, corrupt law firm, uh, corrupt, uh, frankly, grave-robbing probate court uh, executor, uh, attempt to have me involuntarily conserved by a corrupt judge to take away all my rights. It's like this, they know how to pigeonhole someone who is a whistleblower into a situation where next thing you know, you're criminalized falsely. And then when you won't roll over, then the next step in my case was utilizing evil uh, uh, shrinks who are employed by the state here in Connecticut called Department of Mental Health Addictive Services. And I'm not saying that to disparage anyone. This is a matter of fact. This is a separate entity that is our puppets for the court and the acronym is DEMAS, right? For people in the state who live it, we call, and, I, and I believe every state has it. I don't know, but I can tell you about Connecticut. And I'll tell you that the 
the the <laughs> the juxtapose the divergence. Okay, I had DPH providers who I'd been seeing psych doctors, you know, diplomatic psychology, got PhDs, whatever, because I had been in counseling since my twenties because of the incest. Do you follow me? So, you know, I was carrying on after having been in psych ward suicidal twice, 2012, because of triggering uh, upon the, the death of my my perpetrators. You know what I mean? Ray flashbacks, body memories, nightmares, so severe, called an endocrine disorder. That's how I learned about the pituitary network. And so my life path, like yours, brought me upon things because like you, I have that in me to stand up because as a child, I was beaten down. So now I'm a big person, right? No one's going to beat me down. I don't care if it's the authorities. They want to cuff me. They want to incarcerate me. I'm not going to stop. Do you follow me? I don't get oh, violent. Yeah, I have to insert here. I had my own awakening around satanic ritual abuse in 2012. And isn't that mm. fascinating? We were both on the same wavelength because up until about 2011, I believed my abuse was just family pattern incest. I didn't mm -hmm. really know anything about satanic ritual stuff. All I knew is I was having lots and lots of thoughts about killing myself. Mm -hmm. And they, they had put in a kill switch. And if you know what that is, it basically is if you start to remember what they did to you, then you kill yourself. And it's, it's right. their fail safe, you know, to make sure that if, if someone starts to remember or even reports, they will kill themselves before they get to that point. And they had definitely done that to me. That's just interesting on the timing. Oh, I always said from the moment I heard you speak and we started, I said, this is my spiritual sister, <laughs> the yep. whistleblower warrior. You know what I mean? Here we are. God Just walk similar place. And the amazing thing to me, William, is that we made it through all of that healing and we're, we're able to have a, you know, a conversation. Yeah. If I've learned nothing else, um, it doesn't matter what I say. If somebody is determined to believe that I am mentally ill, they will take whatever I say or do and twist it as proof that I'm crazy. And so right. I've just I've just learned over the years to just be myself. I'm going to ex express to people, yes, I'm a person of faith, fearlessly. I have no fear or shame around being a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I am going to just speak my truth and then let the chips fall where they may. If people think I'm crazy or they want to try and lock me up, we'll have at it. You know, I'm I'm not a danger to anyone else or myself. I'm just living my life. But, you know, when they point the finger of scorn and say, you're crazy, my rejoinder is, and, and, <laughs> you know, what, what we're all crazy. We can all be accused of being crazy. What's your point? You yeah. know, tell me something legit so we can have a chat about what's real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. Again, a lot of thoughts come to mind. Um, yes, for sure. Uh, and relatives of my family network who knew it had happened to them too, but they couldn't talk about it. They just weren't able to have a conversation like you and I can. And maybe someday in the future they will. But at, up to this point, it's been decades of not able to. So then I had to accept that. And it's really... It's hard. Difficult. It's so hard when yeah. somebody else confirms what happened and then they're not willing to go public because you get so hopeful. It's like, okay, finally, I have somebody to corroborate and then they just can't do it. And I have compassion for them. I'm not judging anybody who chooses to stay silent. You know, it's their, it's their walk.
Yeah, and but of course, as victims who keep speaking our truth, yes, it would be nice to have a loved one to say, yes, that happened to me also. The problem is they're afraid of the scorn that we've experienced and from relatives, and they don't want to be outside, you know, the family network, and they don't want their kids to know, in my case, for example. And, you know, so it becomes a circular sort of um, silence, you know, and, and then, then that, that that's what keeps the sickness going, because God forbid one of their kids are abused by somebody, then even in the network, you know, for lack of a better word, the family network how does it stop and and i, I mean well, there's I'll so many you, layers to this yeah go ahead that yeah. is why um you know when i first started remembering after my brother died in in 2001 i made a lot of noise in my family my extended family and i was threatened with a lawsuit and i basically backed away you know and i just focused on healing and in the 20 years that have elapsed all of the grandchildren became adults my own kids became mm -hmm. adults and there wasn't that much talk. It was just like, oh, Jenny and her family are out in Colorado and we don't get together with them. But I don't think the grandchildren ever heard why. And so there was this one email that went out from my mom to everybody in the family, lots of extended family and friends. And she was just trying to have a conversation with all the grandkids. And I decided to use that as an opportunity. And interestingly enough, this was a couple of months before that whole Me Too movement started. I had yeah. my own my own me too moment with my family and I sent this email back not for myself but because I sensed that there were some people in our family who were suffering in silence yeah. suicidal had been perpetrated upon by somebody and I was concerned that they had never heard my story or my claims because right. I didn't talk about it so I sent out this email I stated my claim it's like a little volcano went off Everybody was really mad at me for talking about it with the children. Well, these children are not children anymore. They're young adults. They were mature enough to face these things, you know? And so one brother was really mad and he said, do not ever talk to my children again, blah, blah, blah. But my own daughter, after consulting with my other kids and my husband, decided to back me up publicly on that email exchange. And it went from a, oh, Aunt Jenny's crazy. Jenny's just crazy. Look at her mental health background to going, Oh, crap. Jenny's kids are standing with her because my daughter wrote this. I, I will never forget this moment, William, when my own daughter stood up to my family. It was a moment I will never forget. I still cry thinking about it because she didn't have to do it. You know, she could have just yeah. stayed silent, but she did it. She felt some scorn from it. It made her sick to do it. Yeah, but she did it. And it, it, it they immediately started to slowly back away. And then one of my brothers, who's an attorney, he said, okay, I, I think we should stop having this conversation. He was like, everybody shut up, you know, it's making me feel uncomfortable. Uh, it's like, yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is making you feel uncomfortable. Anyway, that's pretty much the last time I had any interaction with my family is like 2014, maybe 2015, somewhere in there. I had my me too moment and I felt like it was me kind of like passing the baton yeah. to say, look, Okay, all of you kids, all of you grandkids in this family now know what I have claimed. I am here to support you, stand in solidarity with you. If anybody needs my help, I'm here. You know, you can do with this information what you will. It's, you know, I feel like I've done my part. And, you know, I'm just trying to, at this point, I'm just trying to live my life and enjoy it. I have grandchildren. You know, it's a new day for me. 
but I was so concerned about those others who might be hurting in my family. And that's why we speak out. Right. I commend you for that, Jenny, because you don't know who you touch, who's keeping the secret. And the other thing is the people who get upset are the ones who are keeping the secret. Because if you're not hiding anything, what, what, in other words, if you were my sister and you told me these things and it was news to me, I would never try and suppress your voice. Why would I do that? I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, you know, and what can I do to help? And, you know, I didn't realize it. How did I miss that? Or, you know, whatever. And I, and being the kind of person I am, I'd confront the perpetrator and I'd make sure everybody knew it. And so I, again, you have people who, for some bizarre reason, either they knew and they didn't speak up and they have guilt, or only God knows, who would want to keep your voice silent. And of course, as we discussed yesterday, according to the Sexual Violence Alliance, three out of every 10 women, by the time they're 20, has been sexually abused. 80% of the women in prison, by the time they get there, have been sexually abused. So one-sixth of men. So we know this statistically and that's a lot of people you know right and so yet this bizarre taboo silence and condemnation like we're we're their survivors why are we being oppressed and suppressed even by law enforcement this this is this is where i want to go to the next level briefly and touch on this world satan fell with one-third the angels to rule civilization right according to the book of job God does not give him the power to do anything that that he does not approve of. This is a test, right? The the road to salvation is picking up our cross, as Jesus said, and only those who are willing to pick up their cross and follow him, meaning up the Via de la Rosa, metaphorically to Calvary. We will be persecuted, he says so. We will suffer. That is the road to salvation. And that's because we're in a Jesus is not of this world. Obviously, he tells us this. So one of the things about healing is invoking the power of, for me, Archangel Michael, Jesus Christ, because there's no question. And again, just like you, people can call me crazy, whatever they want. I could, I'm speaking my truth that the, the demonic entity that was generationally, what's the right word, from generation to generation that was plaguing my family was... When I say rape flashbacks, body memories, I'm talking just that, that caused an endocrine disorder, where from my experience, that demonic entity I used to call the phantom demon was continually to molest me. And I felt that on a body memory level, I smelt it. It, it was it was horrible. For, for That's when I ended up in the psych ward suicidal because I didn't know how to stop it. But the point I'm trying to make is the medications the Selexis, the Risperdal, deadens you. That's the last thing you should be given to someone who's in a spiritual battle. Do you follow me? Oh, I totally agree. They put me on Haldol, Stelazine, which is in the Thorazine family, Prozac, Mm. uh, lithium at the same time. Oh my God. I was so so snowed for a year. I, I could not get off the couch could barely put two words together, give my daughter just the barest of care. You know, I was so disabled by those medications. And I interfaced with like 11 different psychiatrists between my, I had two hospitalizations that first year. And just, you know, 
being told you shouldn't have any more kids. You're going to be on lithium for the rest of the, your life. You're manic depressive. They, they gave me all these diagnoses. And then there was something in my soul. I was like, there has to be someone who I can work with, who can help me. And I prayed, you know, guide me to whoever can help me. And I found a woman psychiatrist in Cincinnati and she helped me to wean off of all of those drugs. And she encouraged me. She said, I think you can have more kids. And it was just what I needed in the hour that I needed it. And then we had a decision to make. Do we move back to Detroit? And my husband's work said, you know, we know your wife's been sick. Do you want to come back here? Or there was an opportunity out in Boulder, Colorado. And I said, let's get out of, let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. I just, I could feel it in my bones. If we went back to Detroit, I knew I could just feel it. I will never break out of this. But we went to Boulder, which is a healing Mecca. There is so much alternative healing here. Health Mm -hmm. food store on every corner, people into all kinds of natural therapies. And I've been able to work with some of the most gifted herbalists and healers you could ever imagine right here in Boulder. I believe God brought us here to help both my, my husband also struggles with emotional stuff, both of us here to heal and we've been healing and it's worked, you know, we, we've healed and it's such a miracle. Praise Jesus. You know, it reminds me of the gospels, beware of philosophers and men who deceive with vanities of the spiritual weakness of this world, not of Jesus Christ. I can't remember where that is in Proverbs. Is it 1715? I'm trying to remember, I don't but have anyway, it memorized, but yeah, men, yeah, I don't men remember the and Amen. Amen. <laughs> they think they're so wise with their drugs and their potions. You know, it says in the book of, of uh, Revelations that by their soy- sorceries shall all nations be deceived. And when you look at Strong's concordance of the Bible, they interpret sorceries from the Greek pharmakeia, which means mm-hmm. a, a pharmaceutical house. And uh, boy, they've they've snowed all of us, haven't they? Oh, and it never ends. And I believe that is Revelations eighteen twenty three. I know the passage. That's yeah. my recollections. So, so yeah. So, okay. For, for one one of the things we're trying to do here today uh, is trying to help people who get caught up in the system, who get illegally arrested. The, the network is trying to hold you down if you're a whistleblower and disparage you, criminalize you, and um, how to fight back, right? It's a good time to segue to that, Jenny, That's, you think? That, that is the goal of the show. So I don't have a hard stop at 11, so we can keep going if you need to go a little bit longer, but just drop it. Just tell us how you did it, because it's a miracle, William, what you did. Okay, well, first, on that note, legally, so you got to fight this spiritually, legally, right? And then from the standpoint of mental health and become your own advocate, because you got the triad against you. Do you follow me? Everything's working against you in the system when you're a whistleblower. There's no ally. I don't care if you have a public defender. He's working for big brother, Uncle Sam. He's bearing all exculpatory evidence like we talked yesterday. So without rehashing anything we talked yesterday, I did recall two more things that can help anybody legally, okay, if they're illegally arrested. Uh, And uh, one is called a pitches motion, which I sent the link uh, uh, so you have it. It's it's P I T, like you would imagine. Pitches P I C T H E S S motion. And what that is is it's a discovery motion to get the 
disciplinary, disciplinary records of the police arresting officer. So if he has a history of complaints against them, your attorney can file that motion and you could find out. For example, the ACLU reports that our prosecutors here in Connecticut, the Connecticut Post reports, ACLU, they do not keep track of untrustworthy cops, which is, <laughs> that makes them corrupt prosecutors. But the point being that you have to do it. Do you follow me? And so the problem is, with my, I couldn't get my public defenders to do anything they were supposed to be doing. I said, look, file a pitches motion. What's going on? They wouldn't, couldn't get them to do it. You know, file discovery motions and let's get the sworn statements from the good cops. Wouldn't do it. But you see what I mean? So, but at least knowing they knew I knew this. And then when I said, well, then let's go to trial. And eh, they couldn't go to trial because I would speak. Do you follow me? And I would yep. call things out. So, so, so William, I have a question before you continue. Yeah. When they when they wanted to pay you off, you said Letitia James sent you the letter. They wanted to pay you off, you know, kind of buy your silence. Right. Um, and you said no. How long was it after you said no that you went into that hospital? Actually, the timeline is, um, I re okay, real quick. 2017, I reported to D.A. Johanna Hernandez in the Bronx, Chiefs of Security at Fordham, Bill McSurley, Jim Hanley, um, Sister Eileen Clifford, uh, victim's advocate for Cardinal Dolan. And um, the, the Letitia James didn't open her investigation until early 2018. So I was originally vetted, you know, school records was considered credible prior to her opening her investigation. In the meantime, the issue was and is that Tapia was not ordained in New York. He was ordained in Fresno. I'll cover this real quick. And the Fresno PD have a history, church militant reports on it, that they don't take 95% of complaints. Church militant is a group of reporters that want to clean up the church. They're devout Catholics, Michael Voris, and they put out videos, bing. So they have seminarians reporting to them and people have been abused. And they they want to clean this evil out of the church. So, so the problem is everybody in New York said, well, look, this, this priest tap, it was Monsignor was not ordained here, obviously in Connecticut. He was not ordained in, uh, for, in New York. He was ordained in Fresno. The Fresno Sheriff's Department police need to hear this along with the victim's advocate and the Fresno dies. You know, all they've done is obstruct. So then I thought, well, according to, uh, the way it's supposed to work, you can report a crime where you live and or where it happened. If you're not getting cooperation with the authorities at one end, you can always report it where you live. Do you follow me? And that's when they started cracking down on me here. Okay, the first excuse was, we don't have jurisdiction. You know, you know, we're not, you know, you need to, I said, listen, that's not true. I know I have a right to report it where I live, the crime. And for you people to be working with me, especially the Milford Ray Crisis Center, the ones who are supposed to act as advocates. But the problem is they're federally funded. They're funded by DPH. And in this state, where you have Letitia James right over the border suing the, the church for not protecting children and financial improprieties. Here, they're still protecting the church. Our attorney general has done nothing, will not file a lawsuit, will not help any victims. It's kind of like um, Kamala Harris when she was AG of California. She buried the church issues. You see what I'm saying? So what well, happened it ha is- It happened to me when I wanted to report my dad to the Franklin Police Department in Michigan. 
uh, they said, you have to come in person. I said, well, I'm disabled. I can't fly because I get blood clots and Oops. I can't, I can't travel. So you have to be here in person. It's like, well, I'm concerned about his other victims. Don't you at least want to take a statement yes. or something, you know, in case other victims come forward that could corroborate? He said, nope, you have to be in person. So That's not true. I'm uh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to jump in. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just no, that, that was it. It just, I wanted to report a crime and they didn't want to hear it. This is the problem. That's a lie. You do not have to report in person in the public domain. For example, for the local police, you can make a report by email. There's a CS crime scene, uh, CS email, and you can request it. You, you do not have to report in person. You can report by phone. And I've done a citizen's complaint by phone. I've made reports by phone. But if they don't want to work with you, that's the excuse. That's a lie. That's a flat-out lie. Well, but what I is, did is I used the Internet and reported it on the Internet. <laughs> because, in the public domain, right? Yeah, you just, just made put it, it out there. And anybody yeah. who Googles his name, hopefully they'll find it, and they can say, oh, his daughter claims that he did this. And I think there's probably hundreds of victims laying in the wake of my dad. It's sad. It's really sad. The people in power uh, have friends and they may be doing the same thing. Maybe that's why they cover up. I don't know. But the bottom line is as victims, well, look, God, look what happened to the poor woman who came forward in the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, Oh my God, she's a psychologist or psychiatrist, one or the other. And, you know, you're going back 40 years. You're going to have partial memories, and it's, it's kind of foggy, but you do the best you can. And they look what they did to the Bill Cosby victims. I mean, they disparage, they discount, they dismiss. It's like you're a gold digger. No, no, but you know what? Take your money and stick it in your ear. I'm not taking the money. So, to answer your question, uh, to get back to that, is um, I'm trying to recall the timeline. Letitia James about a year and a half after I made reports to her. By the way, the sexual assault uh, investigator for her office is a Doyle, Investigator Doyle. It took him three and a half months to get back to me from my first, I, I made my complaint to her office when she opened her investigation the very first day by her their hotline number and then by email. And I cited that I knew Tapia had died in 89. And so, so anyway, so Investigator Doyle finally got back to me. Um, um, Three and a half months later, and he was like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Bonatati. We knew Tapia died. We knew there was no emergency, but we've been so busy with, so overwhelmed with claims, i.e. for living priests. You see what I'm saying? They We've don't want to deal with the dead ones, right? <laughs> well, the problem is they were, they, the staff was overwhelmed. And in fact, Bishop Malone put out the public statement that it's not unlike a tsunami. Of course, you got to talk in double negatives. You can't say it's like a tsunami because that sounds too, you know, ah! so you got to confuse your mind. It's not unlike a tsunami, the number of claims. You see what I mean? They're taught to talk that way intentionally. Secret codes, different verbiage. So I know I'm if anyone wonders, I don't normally talk this fast. I'm cognitive, cognitive of the time and the breadth of the issues here to cover. So I'm trying to blah, 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 get it all out. So anyway, so so anyway, but a year and a half after I reported Letitia James and talked to Investigator Doyle, and about two and a half years after I made my original reports, all of a sudden out of nowhere, I get a thank you letter from Letitia James. I'm like, huh, that's nice. Okay. And on the bottom of it, it tells me to contact, if I need to, to contact the Rape and Incest National Network, which I had in 2014 when I moved back into the state. And that is an automated system. So if you look up R-A-I-N-N, -N, 
Rape and Incest National Network, and you call it, it'll ask you for your um, your zip code. And then based on that, you get transferred to the sexual assault group in your area. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, William, I'm so mm-hmm. suspicious of those types of organizations because I feel, feel like those and women's shelters and uh, law firms that specialize in s- sexual abuse, I sometimes think that those are set up to find out who are going to become the problem people for the powers that be. And so they, they use them to kind of act as spotters, you know, oh, incoming, here's somebody remembering what we did to them. We got to deal with them in some significant way. So there's that. And then I also think that when they pay off that hush money, you know, the most diabolical side of people taking settlements is that it comes with strings attached. You are not allowed to talk about this ever again. And that's why I'm so amazed that you said no to the money. Well, for me, it was a matter of principle. I know when I die, you know, what is the profit of man to gain the riches of the entire world and sell his soul? Right. When I, I, I have people have said to me, even clerks I know in the courthouse, why do you do this to yourself? Get away from here because I got arrested a fourth time. And I'm I don't know. they know the clerks know the bailiffs know the the um, the marshals are the bailiffs. They sit in on hearings. They hear the chief marshal in the courthouse was a great guy who grew up in Boston. Marshal Lou. He's like. Mr. Bonatade, I am so sorry. I grew up in Boston. I know all about the church. I said, Lou, it's no different here. He goes, I know, I know. He's like, it's a legal mafia. So you have people who have good hearts, good cops, who wrote reports on my behalf, who, who Chief Deputy Public Defender even wrote emails. He was willing to testify on my behalf at one point. That's how we get criminal cases dropped. You have to go outside the box. The Access to Justice Commission, if you're disabled, you can reach out to them. You know, did I get illegally prosecuted for four years? 1,400 straight days, yes. Did they put me through jail diversion programs and the competency monitor were across? Eric, he says, you're right. Mr. Bonatari about everything, but I have to go by, you see, these people have jobs. He has a son. He can't lose his job. Do you see what I'm saying? Everybody's caught in the system because they're financially dependent. And eventually you end up at a counseling group uh, that's supposed to be your advocate. And they are federally funded and state funded. And the bottom line is that we are not a government of by and for the people. We're a government of by and for um, the transnational corporations, which is what I consider the church. It's a profiteering transnational corporation that's the biggest crime syndicate in the world if you study exactly what's gone down here. And there's a book, Sex, Priests, and Secret Codes, a 2,000-year paper trail written by three foreign Benedictine monks that tell the story. One is depicted in the movie Spotlight, Richard Seip, played by an actor who, who's on the phone informing the spotlight team what's really going on and he's a former benedictine monk and so there's good monks who are trying to whistleblow of course the church disparages them you even have archbishop carlos vagano the most recent whistleblower that outed Connor mccarrick and the cover-up by the pope francis and benedict and he said look when i die I don't answer to the Pope, I answer to God. So, of course, the church claims he's disgruntled, and the Pope alludes to him as a relative of Satan, and that Satan is the great accuser. So now people like us who insist on accountability and transparency, and for the bishops to be held accountable, and the cardinals and the popes, the Pope refers to us as the great accusers. 
It's outrageous, the twisting and the mind-bending and the spiritual abuse. So, of course, this is a button for me because they, 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 they abuse victims, and it's a systematic, systemic process. And, again, how do I put this into context and frame it? Satan fell with one-third the angels to real civilization. My road to salvation is to pick up my cross and rock the Via Della Rosa and to keep speaking the truth to protect children so that people become aware and that we break the silence of incest, we break the silence of priest abuse, we break the silence of legal abuse, of societal abuse, of, of, of gang legal molestation is what it amounts to, to crush your spirit and your will. No. I, it's you know my position is I will never stay silent on this issue. They can ban me from whatever social media they want. I'm going down in flames. People can think whatever they want because if I can touch one soul, like I noticed your show was watched 15 times from yesterday, I, I I'm going to get in some call-ins and mention it. You know what I mean? Go to Jenny Hatch because I'm starting to get a reputation of calling hosts and people I can talk to. Say, hey, look, if you, I don't want to expand on it in this call-in. I'm a caller, but go to Jenny Hatch show because there's two episodes that I believe need to be heard and can help people. This is how Jesus Christ did not have the internet. He did not have a plane. He did not have radio waves. He didn't have a car. He told The total distance he walked, from what I understand in radius, was 125 miles, and his message are spread around the world so we can do it jenny we have social media we have one another and we, well, if we I, just... believe, I believe in the power of one i yes. believe if only one person ever listens to this show that's right. better than none and i don't seek to be popular i don't care about being well known or even re well respected you know i don't care about any of that and when i involved myself with this case i told you about in utah which is still bubbling uh, the media came out about a week ago. Adam Herbitz is the Fox News reporter who's kind of shepherded the story. And they said, we're still here. Nothing has changed. We've had over a tw 110 people reach out with stories to corroborate this institutional abuse. And um, it involves some very high, highly placed people in the state mm -hmm. of Utah. And I made the executive decision. I didn't consult with anybody except the Lord. Should I publish these documents? And I just decided to do it, you know, come hell or high water. And it it was scary. You know, I admit I was nervous. What's What effect is this going to have on my family? Uh, am I going to get sued? Am I going to get killed? Right. You know, these are the thoughts that cross your path, your mind as you're a whistleblower and a truth teller. But like you say, I have picked up my cross. I have reconciled my own death. You know, if somebody comes and they wants to take me out, that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. I'm happy to go hang with the angels and my savior, you know, but mm. I, I will speak <laughs> and do, more importantly, do the things that I believe will help children and also help victims like us who have been tortured by people in, in our own families and our own neighborhoods and schools and churches and you know if only for the other victims who are trying to heal it's so powerful to hear that he'll hear that you're not alone oh yeah i had that too that happened to me too it's helpful because you do feel like you're the only one preach it sister hallelujah praise jesus <laughs> what i want to encourage people okay 
you can't beat Satan alone. You got to ask for help. That's the message. That's why the Lord said, pray like this, the Lord's Prayer. You follow me? In well, both I, sh yeah, okay. I shared the link to my first book, A Mother's Journey, in the show page here on Colin. And the reason why is because I wrote that book before I started to remember any of the, the abuse. All I knew when I wrote that book is that I had had a postpartum psychosis after the birth of my first baby. I had been put on medications for a year and then I had gotten myself off the meds and that was it. I didn't really talk about sexual abuse because I didn't know at that point. I had no memory. I suffer what's called, you know, repressed memory syndrome, post-traumatic stress. You're so traumatized and tortured as a child that you do not remember. You have tucked all of that trauma away in the dark places of your brain and moved on with your life. So during my 20s, as I'm raising these small children, you know, I don't have the capacity to reconcile all of that. I'm too busy taking care of babies. But I wrote that book at the request of Heavenly Father. It was a literal, Jen, I need you to write your story. It's going to help a lot of people. And I was like, I don't have time. <laughs> How can you expect right, me right. to do this? I don't have time to write a story. But he really helped me, you know, to just get it done and get it up there on the Internet. And I have had contact from so many people, William, so many people that that book helped them. And the reason why is I just talked about the physical and spiritual things I did to help me up to that point in my life. And it is a very tenuous time before you start to remember, because on anniversary days of certain traumas and, and abuse, you do have, you know, what I call flashback situations where you're not necessarily remembering what happened. All you know is that you are feeling really whacked. And then if you journal, you can kind of keep track of this, which is what I did during my 20s and my early 30s. And I was like, okay, it appears I have problems on these days. So I got it down to where I could recognize, you know, incoming, there's going to be some distress on these certain days. And then later, after I started healing, I realized what had happened to me on those days, you know, on this day when I was seven, oh, guess what? I was raped by my dad. And then a few days later, he baptized me into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's going to mess with you when you are a seven-year-old child. And yes. it has. And it did. You know, it did. Oh, for sure. Um, I know I, I have to say this was a rebirth for me uh, spiritually because um, because of a series of circumstances, and including my mother being excommunicated from the church, having been divorced, um, her first husband had had an affair with a woman. He was a naval person and uh, gave my mother a venereal disease. And so my my, my grandpa son son said, if you don't divorce him, I'm going to kill him. You know what I mean? So my mother, so then the, my mother gets got excommunicated. You know. So when I learned that, and then I said, it was like. I can't even go to church anymore. My mom's a good heart. She used to sing around the house all the time. She, the church was her thing and broke her, you know, to be cast out from the church. And I, and according to my dad, he and my uncle went to six different churches to try and talk to the priests. And they all at that time were echoing the same thing. You get divorced, you're going to burn in hell. You marry her, you're going to burn in hell. You know what I mean? And so um, I was like, forget it. I don't want anything to do with the church. So, of course, then I went off in different, with my life, 
prodigal son, you know, did a lot of different things, um, which we can talk about in the future. The point is, well, you you already shared some of that path on yesterday's show, you know, and yeah, people people in their twenties, thirties, and forties before they start to really heal, uh, quite often do get involved in drugs and alcohol and mm-hmm. become se- sexually promiscuous, trying to sort it all out. I'm not saying it's okay to, you know, just say it wasn't a thing because if you sin, you sin. But I think Heavenly Father understands. Well, yeah, even St. Francis said, everything you've done, I've done. He was the son of a rich mercantile salesman, and he led party through the streets of Assisi. And it, as he said, it's a saint is a sinner saved by grace. I don't claim to be a saint. But in other words, you know, we that's the story of the prodigal son. And I think Hollywood did a good job with Groundhog Day. You know, Bill Murray, his story. It's yeah. all about love. And so we got to return back to love and realize what's really important. And even people who've gone down the path of like Wall Street tycoons who realize, you know, it was wrong and then want to repent. Look, the way I look at it is Saul, I'm Paul with Saul. You know what I mean? He was persecuting Christians. You know, he became Christ's greatest disciples, one of his greatest disciples. So, so with that in mind, of course, we're all can redeem ourselves. That's the point. And and it's it's the 91st Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer. When I was feeling the spiritual attacks, that was that was my shield and my buckler and my shield. You know what I mean? And so, and I literally needed that because the spiritual attacks were very powerful and very traumatic. And I said, okay, I'm in a spiritual battle here. There's no drug that's going to help me. There's no person who's going to help me. I this is my battle, and I can't do it alone. I'm going to use the Psalms. And the Lord's Prayer, and the and I, I did invoke the Hail Mary because I read a um, exorcist, a Catholic exorcist said the two most powerful prayers are in any exorcism are the Lord's Prayer and the Hail Mary. So I said, well, if he says so, <laughs> I, you know, I used to play football. I listened to the coach. You know what I mean? And, well, uh, and William, yeah. the people who are in charge of these satanic networks, they understand and know and practice the dark arts. Oh, yes. So for, for the novice who does not understand what that means, I would like you to imagine the, that old-time voodoo doll where they're holding the doll, the likeness of you, and then they're poking pins into it and hating on it, two minutes of hate, Orwellian stuff. And imagine that magnified by 2,000 covens around the world at the same time hating on you mm. or a million witches and warlocks all over the world coordinated through the internet to hate on President Trump at the same moment, or anyone within their sight lines who they need to take down, do you think that does not have an impact on someone's physical body, on their spiritual body? It absolutely does. And I have been the victim of these types of spiritual attacks, and to the point where I felt like I was going to die. They would hit my heart, or my, my pancreas, or my gallbladder, and it would feel like it was burning. You know, Paul himself talked about the fiery darts of Satan. I've experienced some of those fiery darts, especially in the last few weeks since I got involved in this Utah case. And it's like somebody somewhere out there is trying to attack me spiritually using their satanic powers. And the only thing that has gotten me through, frankly, is calling out to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and saying, deliver me. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to handle this. You have to make it stop. And he's helped me, but it, you know, (laughs) the spiritual warfare is real. Oh, for sure. And no, um, it may not even be an embodied, um, uh, 
a soul that's uh, a demonic entity that took over a physical body it, it just could be a demonic entity that's attacking you you uh, it's called obsession and i think the priest's name was forte he wrote the book on exorcism i can't remember for sure but he talks about three levels there's obsession where the entities are uh, influencing and then there's possession where of course the it's a deeper level where they, they've gained some control of your of your faculties obviously you're possessed uh, mentally, physically. And then the next level is perfect possession. Perfect possession is those who are demonic, uh, ritual, uh, uh, demonists, or whatever you call them. You, uh, help I me call out with that word. Per perpetrators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they, know, they know that they are, are definitely possessed, but then they are outdoing the bidding of their satanic powers. And, you know, this is the thing. When... <laughs> When talking about this, it's so easy for even Christians to get uncomfortable. But you have to remember that up to a third of Jesus Christ's ministry was casting out evil spirits. Yes. That began his relationship with Mary. Oh, this woman is possessed of all of these evil spirits. We are going to send them packing and then help her heal. And then she goes on to become a force in his kingdom. And it's so important for people to remember that. Jesus was not just about healing the children and, you know, blessing people and teaching the gospel. He knew how to deal with those evil spirits, and they were real. Oh, and of course, you know, Satan roams the wolf, uh, roams the earth like a ravenous, ravenous wolf. I got to slow down here. And his his agenda is to make us believe that he's not real. Do you follow me? And the, unfortunately. Because it's a scary thing for people or spooky or, they, you know, the whole agenda of Hollywood to discount, dismiss that this is something that to put it in the realm of fantasy. No, you're absolutely correct. This we're all mind, body, spirit. The American Indians talk about you have a black wolf on your shoulder and a white wolf. Which one grows depends on which one you feed. There's lots of cultures looking at this in their own context, in their own framework. The bottom line is moment to moment, day to day, we're in a spiritual battle, in my opinion. And, you know, we're tempted constantly and it's a matter of choice. And 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 and, the, and you get stronger and, and, and stronger and stronger. It's like um, God needs to give you. As one of the monks on the monastery said, you know, the, the, the more you go along in the, in the spiritual path, the, 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 the tests get bigger. They don't get smaller. No, you know, they, do. I, they absolutely do. I, there's a story yeah. I used to teach my kids about how those evil spirits worked. And it, it went like this. There were a couple of angels training a new angel on how, how it operates. And they showed them two men, two mortal beings. And one of them had just a little tiny, tiny devil on his shoulder, kind of whispering in his ear. And the other had just all these big, fat, noisy, evil spirits constantly bombarding him and messing with him. And the, the new angel said, oh, that, that man who has all those evil, evil spirits surrounding him, he must be the bad man, right? And look, look, that other guy, he just has one little devil on his shoulder. He must be the good man. And the more experienced angel said, no, you have it backwards, you know, that guy who has all those big, noisy, evil spirits constantly bombarding him is the good man. And he's just being messed with. And that little tiny devil on that bad man's shoulder just has to whisper one little thing and he gets him to do his bidding. 
And so it's a nice visual to kind of think about how this operates, because as you do progress line upon line, precept upon precept, as we're taught in the scriptures, uh, and you get to those higher levels of spirituality, buckle up. You're going to experience some spiritual warfare. It's part of the plan. Yeah, it's to make us stronger. It's it's the book of Job. And then Padre Pio talks about where he actually had physical battles. You know what I mean? Physical battles with entities where, you know, and there's other there's other saints who've talked about that. You know what I mean? Oh, Jacob, Jacob had a physical battle. I've known people who were attacked physically by evil spirits. They couldn't see any person there, but there was a physical entity messing with them, wrestling with them. So it's real. And I acknowledge it. William, do you have any more just solid evidence or, or advice for anyone who finds themselves in a similar position to that, that we were? You know, basically well, cast off as mentally ill, interfacing with the powers that be and sort of losing, you know, tell us again how you got yourself out of that hospital situation and then stepped out to today where you're, you're hosting your own call-in shows. That's that's sure. a mighty, mighty big jump. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, okay, uh, legally speaking in the criminal justice system, if, if the State's attorney wants to dismiss a case, he'll offer you a nolly. Nolly contendere is a Latin, full Latin phrase. And what that, he's not going to go to trial. I reject nollies all the time because if you get three of them in a 13 month period, you're going straight to the Department of Correction for a three month period while they allegedly investigate. So I had two nollies offered to me within mm, several months. Of course, they want to dismiss the cases. I say, you you cannot dismiss an illegal arrest without dropping it. The nolly contendere is they're dropping it because they don't want to pursue you, but you're not challenging the arrest and the officer as having no probable cause. There's never been probable cause to arrest me. So I'm like, no, I'm not taking, first, I didn't know what it was, Jenny. My supervisor, public defender officer said, well, the state wants to dismiss it. So, so they're going to offer you a nolly. Like, as if that's a good thing. And I said, well, I don't know what that is. He says, well, the state wants to dismiss it. I said, you know what, Paul, I'm going to search, you know, use search that Mr. Google and find out what that means. And when I found out the terms and conditions, I'm like, what are you, crazy? I, You have client rights when you're with a counseling group, whether it's a Christian Counseling Center or St. Paul's Church church and they should address my complaints if i'm talking about the crimes of the church at large i talk to my counselor twice a week with lifebridge of course we talk about these things i don't get arrested you know i'm like this is nuts no so well, what happens is the state then is in double bind because i said to paul i'm going to sue these people we're going to get this dismissed and i'm going to file lawsuits going to sue the cops i'm going to sue the i said we got people to prosecute why don't you write some real warrants up do you follow me? Talk to that prosecutor, write some real warrants. Yeah. We're not we're not prosecuting anybody today. I said, yeah, but me, pal. You know what I mean? You couldn't fight your way out of a paper bag, you know, supervisor public defenders. They're, they're, they're there to protect the establishment, period. So so at that point, they wouldn't drop it. I wouldn't take the nolly. So then it was, here's the next trick. We have to determine if he's competent to go to trial. They already want to drop the case. They never went to trial, by the way, and for legal arrest. Never had intention to. Then they kick in what's called Department of Mental Health Addictive Services. They're diabolical shrinks. I, it's the, the acronym is DEMAS. I'd say it's diabolical, medical malpracticing, Hippocratic oath violating, acrimonious shrinks. 
to have another acronym. You know what I mean? I love it. Right? Should I say that three times fast? <laughs> so, anyway, so, so it's perfect, though, because they are Hippocratic Oath violating. They are diabolical, you know. Um, and and, and th that's the point. You have client rights. Proximate cause established means they're employed by the state. You're a citizen. There's a contract established that's inherent. Do you follow me? It's unspoken, but it, it, it's it's implied. Do you follow what I'm saying? You don't have to sign anything, you know. So proximate cause is established, and they're malpracticing. That's medical malpractice, just like the Christian Counseling Center. You have someone arrested for, you have a right to get complaints to your counseling group. They don't have to agree with you. Do you follow me? It's not harassment. In fact, here's another one that'll help people. There's a state law appellate case that's become case law. Case law developed in any state can be used in any state court in your defense. So you know that. So there's a case law hearing, what I call corrupticate, which is in the show, you know, I sent you the link. It's called the state versus no wacky. Believe it or not, the guy's last name is no wacky. Perfect. You can't make this up. It's like a movie, right? So the state versus no wacky, Michael Nowacki, the appellate case is AC34577. This is tertiary, but it is relevant. The first thing being you have client rights. Do you follow me if you're with a counseling group? They can't have you arrested for trying to get complaints because they, you feel they violated your Hippocratic Oath. They don't have to agree with you. Do you follow me? You get you arrested for that? What? So the first thing is you have client rights. Next, there's confidentiality clauses, meaning you're in counseling. There's confidentiality clauses between you and your counsel. You can't break that confidentiality clause to have you arrested. You know what I mean? Unless you threaten them. Do you follow me? You threaten them. That's, of course, I never did. So what's the vibe? Or, or if they're afraid you might harm yourself or somebody else. Here I've been suicidal in and out of psych wards. They should be worried about me not having me arrested because people who've been suicidal can slip. This is how pernicious and egregious they are. It's like, wait, what? Anything to protect to protect the, the bigger picture. Do you follow me? The, the crimes of the church. So they'll even take someone who's been suicidal and, and do something that could possibly tip them into suicidal ideology again. They don't care. They don't care about us. That's the thing. It's about protecting them. And so this is outrageous. You know what I'm saying? It's a spiritual attack, and it's coming from the church of all places. So anyway, so whew, take a deep break. Yeah, so, so now, there's, there's no rush. Just tell the I story. I thought we're short on time. We're okay? No, you know, I, okay. I usually have a hard stop on Thursdays, but it's Friday. We can go as long as we want. You know, I, I don't oh, want to go for I don't want to go for two more hours because I, I get tired and I need to eat some food. But, you know, right. uh, let's just just get the story captured. Just tell your story. Oh, thank you. I, I'm like, I only got 10 minutes. I got a little bit. Over. OK, so I can. Whoo, thank you, Jenny. I can breathe. <laughs> OK, because so, there's so much, I want to help people. I want them to know you have client rights. Proximate cause established. There's there's heaven's sake there, there's. They're violating the Hippocratic if they do this to you. Making false police reports, those are actually perjuries that you should be held criminally accountable for. And, um, you know, if you're sending emails, those to claim you're harassing somebody by email, well, then where's the evidence? What, what What's harassing in nature? Prove it. Do you follow me? That No. I'm, I'm harassing the criminals by talking about the, their, their crimes that are international? How could that be? 
Do you follow me? You know, but this is how the church has been protected by law enforcement and the courts forever. And even my public defender said, well, you know, that's the modus operandi of the church to claim you're harassing them. I'm like, well, why do you, why do you go along with that? You know, why do you subordinate that perjury? That subordination is a legal term. Why, why do you support that? What, what's the matter with you? But this is what they do. They work for the state. The church rules the state. It's not the other way around. You know what I mean? And we can real quickly go to the tri-city states that have an Egyptian obelisk in the center. They're independent tri-city states. That's the Vatican. Believe it or not, flies a flag. It's its own, it's its own state, its own country, literally, within Rome. You wouldn't believe it. You got the Egyptian symbolism is important. Okay. You've got that in Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. Right. And you've got that in London, Sydney. London, Sydney is the financial capital of the world where the bank, you know, the Western banking uh, cartel sits. It's true. The Rockefeller, Rothschild, the Rothschild banking. Yes. And, and, and let's, let's have a moment of silence for the death of the queen. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you, she is a demon. And when I think about what she's done to families, um, it just I talked about it last night on a couple of shows and wrote a blog post about it. But so much evil emanating from one family, one institution. It's almost staggering. And yet the, yep. here we are. Yeah, I know. And it's nuts that they, they idolize that, like she's, that the whole royal family, the, the culture in England is baffling. I mean, the, 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 these are royals. I mean, what? You know what I mean? But so, so yeah, so you got, and they, the Tri-City States fly a flag with three stars. This is not something I'm conjuring up. You can check it out online. The, 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 who rules the world, basically? It's the Vatican, the London City, the financial capital of the world, you know, and uh, the United States, Washington, D.C., the, the, the military capital of the world. Our, our military uh, budget is, I keep hearing it go between 10 and 13 times that of, uh, I, I, I'm just putting it another way, uh, as large as the next, let's say, pick 10 countries combined. That includes the two other superpowers. I've read up to 13 times because the reality is our budget keeps going up. It's 800, whatever it is now, 30 billion. But in the last uh, 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 Pentagon uh, audits, there's 35 trillion unaccounted for. And somebody I was talking to on call and said, no, double that. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, so Remember mm -hmm. Rumsfeld coming out and talking about how many trillions they lost the day before 9-11, you know? <laughs> oh, sister, we got to do a 9-11 truth or show someday because I got so much on that one. But anyway, well, we, so are on, we are at the anniversary in a couple of days. So let's have a moment of silence for that. And I'm joking, tongue very in cheek when I'm talking about having a moment of silence. I, I my moment of silence is for all the victims, yes. of these, these institutions and what they have wrought on humanity. Yes. And maybe, boy, I, I, wow, I've, there's things that I've learned through my searches, of course, I'm disabled. I'm home full time. It's just a matter of time management. I have all the time in the world, right? Unless I'm managing my disabilities and I know I'm the that. same way. I'm just home. So, Got nothing better to do. Might as well be a keyboard warrior, right? Amen, sister. Amen. So, you know, I did. Wow. Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to go there right now, but maybe we can do one on 9-11. That would be terrific. So, well, I think so, the world is waking up about 9-11. I mean, I yeah. know there's some diehards, but there's been so much evidence that's come forward. And I think people are hungry for justice. 
for what they've done to us because of it with the Patriot Act and all of the surveillance state and, you know, just all the evil, again, emanating from the same people. It's all the same people. And they just need to be exposed and then brought to justice. You know, I I, I want to keep talking about the mental health stuff. But more than that, I want to talk, I want you to talk directly to the people out there who may come across this show in three years or five years, who are just waking up from being abused, who are perhaps already interfacing with mental health systems. Maybe they've got a court case because they're speaking out against somebody in a position of power and they're scared. You know, I really would like you to talk to that survivor because honestly, William, I'm not concerned about the people who hear this show today or tomorrow. I'm thinking more about those who are coming, who are healing, who will come across it and just be like, oh my gosh, here's these two people experience the same thing. What is your message to them? Wow. Uh, it's a spiritual, uh, physical, legal, emotional battle that will make you stronger. If you keep putting one foot in one another, in front of the other, knowledge its power and call upon the angels for help. I I am convinced, for example, the angels brought you and I together to help people. I am too. I didn't, yeah, I didn't find you. We were brought together. And that's how my life works. And the more you or anybody, myself, invoke angels, for me, it's Jesus Christ. Like I said, the the Psalms, the, the Lord's Prayer. The more and more I do that, the more and more I've done that, angels bring people to me along the way. To I, I've even had marshals, like one marshal in the courthouse, great guy, Marshal Bill. He says to me, he knew my story because bailiff in the hearings, he says, you need to talk to Michael Nowacki. That's remember I told you about the appellate case. Uh, Is that the Nowacki who was part of that case? Yes. He, then Bill says, I know Michael Nowacki. I sit down in his hearings because these marshals circulate around the courthouses. And so I said, you need to look up Michael Nowacki. I'm like, huh? I said, yeah, check it out. And Marshall Lou even said, oh, yeah, I know Marshall Nowacki. Nowacki was a guy here who was a former CBS executive who lived in an affluent area of, uh, I don't know, was it Danbury? I'm trying to remember. It's so long ago since I. Anyway, the point he's is. He was there in Connecticut. He was. I think he moved, I was told. But what he did was he fought the system and he represented himself, Judge Lenham, in a criminal matter. And he, he, his, he was all about exposing the corruption in the state. He had a lot of money. He wanted to expose the corruption. And so what he did was he represented himself and he played like cross-examining himself. He would take, you know, he'd take the witness stand, then he'd stand up and play the lawyer, just went back and forth. And he he subpoenaed like a hundred people. The judges were pissed off that denied all his subpoenas, which there were some that were, you know, credible witnesses he needed. Anyway, he lost in the criminal case representing himself. And then he hired a law firm. Uh, Roy Ward was the attorney and uh, uh, they won in the appellate. So the appellate case is AC, that's appellate case, three, four, five, seven, seven, right? 
AC 34577, the state versus Nowacki. And what that states is a free speech issue. The judges decided, say there's a contract written oral and or implied between parties. Now, his his conflict right there had nothing to do with the church. Let me clear that up. It had to do with he was divorced and there was a, a nanny they had hired and he was paying the nanny and he needed communication with her to stay open, about whether they got the tires rotated, blah, 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 whatever the issues were. Nanny didn't want to talk to him, wanted to go through the wife. He said, no, I'm paying you. And so anyway, the police got involved and issued him a of warning said you keep contacting this person you will be arrested he's like this is a civil matter this is a business contract issue you don't have, i'm her employer you don't have a right to tell me that right and so we he continued to contact her they arrested him believe it or not he lost representing himself in in superior court how can that be so the, in the appellate case, Roy Ward represented him, and indeed, the judges found when there's a written, oral, or implied contract, that's a civil matter. That's a contract dispute, and the police have no right arresting you or you know, setting up what's called an illegal ad hoc protective order for the other party. You know, if you're in business together, say you're making buttons and you have a a dispute over, I don't know, suppliers or how much you're going to pay, and the other person is being obstinate, and you need, no, 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 I don't want my money spent that way. That's communication. It can become even, um, what's the right word, heated, let's say, as long as you don't threaten that person. You start threatening, you can threaten to sue him. Was he accused of harassment? Uh, He was arrested for Yes, what they do here, and this is what they did to me with the Christian Counseling Center, the Rape Crisis Center, Court Operations Judicial did this to me. The the police, now, let me say, first of all, the State versus Nowacki case was decided by the appellate judges. It became a case law in early 2015. And the state's attorneys fought it, being who they are, you know. They want the ultimate rights to arrest people that seem like they got nothing better to do and the, the cops. And so the, what what they continue to do this, They even though the law was passed, it becomes a case law. For example, I was warned, you know, uh, and of course, there was always good cops in the middle said, you're not doing anything illegal, Mr. Bonatati. Don't worry about it. But initially, I was warned to stop contacting uh, the rape crisis center. While I'm reporting a pre-sexual assault and they're covering it up, you must be kidding. And, and the Fresno police were covering it up. And their charter, their federally funded charter, which you can see in the public domain, if you look up the Rape Crisis Center, what their, their mission is, is to work with the police, the state's attorneys, to interface for victims and even go to court with them. What the hell are they having me arrested for? Like, you I, follow said, me? like yeah. I said, William, I'm so suspicious of those types of groups because, you know... <laughs> It doesn't seem like they're advocating for victims. They're advocating for the system. And they, yes, act, that's the they point. act as spotters. They act as spotters. Oh, this person's talking lawsuit. This person's going to be a problem, you know, and then they kind of gear up to take you out. That's exactly what happened, sister. So let's get into how I ended up in. First, I had a judge try and get me involuntarily conserve for person in the state. And the way they do that is they assign a guardian and conservator. Okay, and then they have to take you to probate court. That was on the outside when I mean before I got put in the psych ward. So six months before I get put in the psych ward, I had a judge who was actually the former town of Trumbull attorney where in St. Teresa's Church, 12 molesting priests were paid off for and a groundskeeper. So he hated me because I was 
I'd, I'd, I'd call him out right in hearings. I'd say, <laughs> and he sent police to my door telling me that he wants respect. I mean, in other words, I don't bow down to anybody. They're a public servant. If they're protecting criminals of any body, be it the church or anything I fought, lawyers or the hotel credit card banksters, they're criminals. They're co-conspirators. I don't care. If they're a judge, that's called treason. Section 18 U.S. 2381 and misprison of treason, by the way, when a judge or a lawyer does it, that's misprison of treason. Section 18 U.S. 2382, under what's called color of law crimes, Section 18 U.S. 242 and collusion 241. So they're treasonous. Do you follow me? I have civil rights. And when they... Go ahead, guess, I'm sorry. Guess who was the one institution in Utah that contacted me after I published the victim statements on my blog? It was a victim's rights attorney law office that deals yeah. with sexual abuse and claimed that the victims were their clients. They sent me a certified mail cease and desist letter. You know, take all of this stuff off your off your blog and off the Internet. Never talk about it again. I emailed them back and told them to fuck off. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you what, the Detroit law that the Fordham Board of Trustees referred me to once Letitia got corroborating evidence, I was referred by the Fordham Board of Trustees to what's called Detchert, D-E-C-H-E-R-T law, New York, New York. And the attorney they hired is a former U.S. attorney. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, because I did a background search on him before I contacted him. Do you follow me? And I've and I'm like, you're a former U.S. attorney? I'm like, how many bishops have you indicted in this criminal syndicate? And this have- is where the rubber hits the road. Show yep. me your record of how many priests you put away, how much leadership you've put away. Has anybody ever done any time? You know, and they, they, they just don't have it because they haven't done it. Oh, there's another thing. The church in 2002, after the spotlight, reports came out. The movie was made in 2014, but the Spotlight investigative team for the Boston Globe, their reports come out in early 2000. What does the church do? Two things. They did. They organized what they called Dallas Charter, which was um, in Dallas. They had some kind of symposiums and blah, 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 blah. You know, the face of reform, yada, yada, yada. Cardinal McCarrick was the face of the reform. Put a pin on that man. Hold that thought for me. Cardinal McCarrick. He's going to come up in a minute. They also hired a former FBI executive director of her district office, Kathleen McChesney. Kathleen McChesney. FBI hired, uh, the, the church hired her, right, on their new, uh, whatever you want to call it, panel to protect children, blah, blah, blah. 20 years later, she's still calling for transparency and accountability. FBI, they all have been in on this, just like they were in on covering up for Epstein, just like they've been in on covering up for Nasser, for, for those girls who finally got to testify about Nasser, the, the oh, Olympic, uh, I the just shameful. That, yeah, I just watched that documentary and it was so good. The ending was so powerful. Did you watch it? Those gymnasts, no, what they, I'm... they testified one by one. It was mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, and what they testified was that the FBI were thinking, uh, I don't know how recent the documentary, was that documentary made recently within the last year or two? Or how yeah, old was I think that? it's on Netflix and it's like Victim A or something like that. But the girls were able to get up one by one and tell exactly what he did to them in court in Michigan. You know, that's my home state. 
to have this institutionalized thing that was tied into USAG, USA Gymnastics, the infrastructure, the Mm -hmm. leadership, law enforcement, you know, Mm -hmm. it was these girls and a couple of very determined prosecutors were like, we are going to expose this. And they also had some really great help from local media. I think they were in Minnesota. They did the same type of work that the spotlight journalists did. Now, they also, it may have been after, had Senate hearings, because what happened was, what came out was, it's funny you mentioned FBI, girls testified, six of them, within, I'm trying to remember, when did they testify, Bill? Within, it's kind of a blur, Jenny, recently, when I say recently, within the last year or two, because the pandemic has been a total blur the last couple of years. So let's say before the pandemic, best my recollection, they testified Tulsi Gabbard covered this, how the girls, the original six girls brought the reports to the FBI. The FBI covered it up, covered it, law enforcement covered it up, actually changed their reports to try and cover up for the Olympic Committee and whoever else was involved in this thing. And and in the meantime, another 70 girls got abused. Yep. And then and then it finally blew up and Tulsi Gabbard. She made a video. She was running for president at one time, member DNC. Oh, I love Tulsi. I think she's a great person. Yep. She came out and made videos after this congressional testimony. uh, said, the criminals need to be held accountable. She's talking about the co-conspirators, and those are law enforcement. Those are FBI agents she's talking about right there who covered up. Because they covered up, 70 more girls got abused. Some committed suicide. They are, then they are accomplices. See, in the law, there's accomplices and accessories, depending on the level of involvement. And they share criminal liability, Section 18, U.S. 792. In Connecticut, it's Penal Code 53A-8. And we have law enforcement who are co-conspirators. So when Bill talks this way, I'm not harassing anybody, but they want me shut up. So here's how they play it. First, they try to get me involuntarily conserved for person in the state when I say on the outside through the probate courts. Now, if they pull that fast one on you and they sign you a conservator, a guardian and conservator, and they tell you they're going to do Judge Arthur a favor by first, it's mob talk. You see what I'm saying? Right. That is his last name, okay? And so I go, oh, you're going to do Judd Arsenault? That's very nice, Al and Chris. We'll see how that plays out. So knowledge is power. So if they're going to try and get you involuntarily conserved, even in a psych ward in Connecticut, they have to bring you before a probate court judge. So the probate rule book for conservators in your state will be available online. Now we're talking about tools you can use. You read the probate law rule book for conservators here in Connecticut, eh, it's foggy and so long ago. Say it's 197 pages. I remember the details. The, the conservator is required to meet with you twice here in this state, required to talk to you about who they can interview to testify on your behalf, and if need be, meet with those parties, if need be, subpoena those parties if they're not willing to come voluntarily to the court on the court date. Do you follow me? In addition, he's supposed to get uh, information from your DPH providers, your doctors. In other words, no, he's supposed to act like any public defender and, and, and zealously, truthfully, and loyally represent you. Yeah, well, the conservatives some, I had some... in the Guardian, they were going to do Judge Arthur a favor. They did zip. They did none of that. It's called Absolutely getting, none of it's that. It's called getting freaking evidence. You know, they didn't bother to get any evidence that you were insane. 
Right, or, 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 or not in, what, inculpatory or exculpatory, that proves I wasn't. Okay, yeah. so in other words, they're grossly negligent derelict of duty because they're co-conspirators to trying to get. Now, if they could have gotten, if they could have got me involuntarily conserve a person in the state, one, I couldn't fight my own lawsuits. Two, I couldn't manage my own bank accounts. Three, look what happened to Britain Spears. You see what I mean? It takes away the management of your life entirely. Your health care, everything. You, the the conservator manages that, and the guardian. Okay, and if you have money, which by then there really wasn't anything for, there wasn't matter. They were doing this for the state, but if you have money now, they're bulking your 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 bank accounts or the, the you know those uh, uh, who, maybe there's someone who's died and there's an inheritance. Forget about it. Do you follow yeah. me? They're gonna freaking assume, for that. Assume protection of your assets. Yeah, yeah, right. Where they they bill at three fifty an hour, and they you know bill the walk crazy. You got you got an executor, you got a guardian, you got a conservator. They're all billing the estate. Goodbye. When I was on Facebook and I was involved with the probate advocacy groups, I heard so many sad stories. And there were people doing radio broadcasts and podcasts, people who had a lot of money, boy, and you thought they had power that got fleeced. I mean, unbelievable. And then their parents end up. Or, or somebody who's elderly, somebody ends up, you know, there's that movie in Netflix movie um, that was made about this. Uh, what's, I, I watched it? it, but it had that guy who's the dwarf in it with the adopted mother. I can't think of the name, but I, I saw that movie. It was so good. Yeah, well, again, I'm thinking of the movie for some reason. I can't remember the name. But anyway, it'll come to us. I find if I keep talking, there's so much information rattling around that eventually it surfaces. So anyway, so you know what I'm talking about. So this is what happens. And so they sign me guardian conservator. And I'm like, oh, you're not doing anything you're supposed to. And I, I'm like, I'll just go in and argue before the judge that they're both been grossly negligent, derelict of duty. And, and I had individual analysis of my uh, because. I've been seeing uh, healthcare professionals, uh, letters from them. Then I brought in my uh, file box. I got these file boxes, you know, from Staples that were like legal letter size and maybe 11 inches wide, little carry handle. And I had one, which I keep one for all my banking. I keep another one, you know, it's all, you know, and nice and get the file jackets and I got the files and because you know, I like to stay organized. I got so much I'm doing between legal, financial, your health. So I got a file box for my health. I got a file box for my bank. And so I already have those in my car. It's like, okay, my car is well, like a law. Well, just, for those who are listening, I just Googled the name. It's called I Care A Lot is the name yes. of the movie. Really, really good movie. So go, yeah, keep no, going. Didn't okay. mean to interrupt, but just wanted people yeah. to go watch it because it does, it does a great job of showing how they grab your money. Right. So if, if they're trying to get you involuntarily conserve a person in the state, they have to prove you can't manage your bank accounts. You can't keep your doctor's appointments. You see, so you have to present evidence that that's not true. So you have your bank statements, you have your credit card statements, you have, you, you know, of course, I already had, that was easy for me. I, I, that's just the way I am. I kept those all filed up. And then uh, regarding uh, uh, Compaval, so they were trying to use the comp eval from Demas. Remember, diabolical medical malpracticing, Hippocratic oath violating, acrimonious shrinks. They were trying to use that comp eval. Well, there's a statute in Connecticut. It happens to be called 5456D. It's our statute where the 
the two uh, case laws associated with whether you can represent yourself, which we mentioned yesterday, which is Ferretti versus California, or if you can assist the public defenders, Indiana versus Edwards. And Demas is used to determine your competency. You see, so they had from the criminal courts, they had this competency eval, but the statute is such that there's a 40 day expiration, 45 day expiration period. So what happened was by the time they scheduled the probate court hearing, that comp eval from Demas was 98 days old. Okay. Which is past the 45 day marker, wasn't it? Just a little bit. Right. And so at that point, it is irrelevant. It's not even material. To the case. Do you follow me? Because it's expired by yeah. statute. So what's the answer there? You get knowledge. Now, again, it's the angels along the path. Like you're like, how did this guy know all this stuff? I wasn't born knowing it. I didn't go to law school. What happened is I immersed myself in it. I prayed for direction. Angels on my path, like Marshall Bill, give me a lead. Like you got to learn about Nowacki. And then I don't know how I stumbled on that stature. I, you know, I think you told me about this 5450 who's actually the chief deputy public defender who I used to talk to frequently. And well, we're talking well, about this. Yeah. This, this pattern you're telling of this divine help is also my story. At every juncture mm. of my healing journey, Someone would step in, a new friend, some stranger I'd meet at a park. I'd pick up a book at the library and I'd read something in a magazine or just, you know, something would happen to illuminate my mind to help me understand which direction I needed to go. As I've wended my way through this labyrinth, it's a labyrinth because you are struggling mentally. There's no question I struggle mentally. I've been hospitalized three times with suicidal depression. You know, and and it's disabling. I don't think clearly all the time. I know that about myself. I have lapses in memory. And so it's like you're trying to, to push back against this tsunami. I'll call it a tsunami. And and you're all alone, you know. But if you have faith, you have this almighty being who sees everything and knows exactly what you need in the moment. And that is the message that I would like to share with anybody who listens to this podcast who finds themselves up against this wall and don't know where to turn. There are solutions, there are answers, and you can grab your life back. You can literally grab it by the throat and shake it and say, I will have a life and then go out and live your happy life. You know, this is, this is the thing I'm so grateful about. I'm still married. I still have my five kids. Most of them are still talking to me. And it's, it's a life, you know, think about me being in some institution for the last 34 years, dope to the nines, no family, no kids, my husband and daughter are long gone, you know, who wants to live that? Well, amen. And what I, let, let me say, I mean, there's so many thoughts again, whenever you speak. Um, so I don't even know where to pick up. But let me for now try and stay laser focused on getting that probate matter. The attempt to have me involuntarily conserve for person in a state thrown out. Okay. And that's what I got. What I did was I went in with my file boxes. I had my letters from my DPH providers. I had evidence, obviously, that the comp valve from Demas was expired, making it irrelevant. And so Chris, not, well, the attorney, Chris, who was my conservator, who was, you know, was going to do Judge Arthur a favor, 
when I met him, I, what I did was I, I, I took uh, uh, pictures with my phone and I text him sections of the conservator's rule book. Do you follow me? The probate court. I said, you violated section, section, so. So now it's, it's text to him. Right. So we can't claim plausible deniability that I haven't presented him with this. My intention was to out him in front of the judge for being grossly negligent, derelict of duty and malpracticing. And I let Chris know that. I said, you see these photos from the probate law rule book? You violated here. Here's section such and such, section such and such. You have to be fearless and never threaten anybody like physically. But I let them know what I was going to do. And I was going to nail them in front of that judge. And I was already, uh, I had uh, uh, four lawsuits I was litigating. And I hadn't lost an arguable motion in front of Judge Stevens. Opposing counsel, when you're in civil, their job is to get the case thrown out. So there's various motions for dismissal. So motions to strike you know, over an hour, hour and a half hearing. The longest hearing was two hours, motion to strike later, motion for non-suit, motion for summary judgment was a two hour hearing because there were 10 law firms I was up against, uh, three law firms I was suing and the rest were representing defendants, including the town of Trumbull and the Trumbull police. You see what I'm saying? So what happened here is that, and, and there were others, you know, cause I have four lawsuits going. So, so again, uh, so I'm like, you think I'm messing around, Chris? I'm going to sue your corrupt butt. I said, I'm already suing three law firms and I'm tying them up in court. I may not succeed because the court's so corrupt, but I will time his money and I will tie your ass up. I will paper snow you and I will. You want to screw with me? Make my freaking day. Okay. So what, did he do? what did he do? What he did was he showed up at the court like a little puppy dog. He's like, all right, all right. What do you got? What do you got? Let's talk. Let's meet. I said, you already violated everything in here. You're supposed to have met with me twice. You didn't talk to anybody. You didn't subpoena anybody. You know, this about is 45. I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. So, so we're, 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 show me the letters from your doctors. Do you follow me? I'm like, here they are. He goes, okay, I'll make the opening statement. If you need to say anything, feel free to say it. So we made the, the opening statement in front of the judge. He did. And I told him the first thing you need to open with is this comp eval is, is irrelevant. It's over 45 days old. Neither you nor the guardian authorized a new comp eval, which they could have. You see what I mean? So they didn't do anything. To, 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 anything. They could have. If he was really working in my behalf, he, he should have. The probate court should have paid for a new comp eval, the state, to determine, especially once the other one had expired, whether or not I was competent. And if I was competent, that'd be evidence that would be exculpatory to use to not get me involuntarily conserved. You see what I'm saying? Um, yes. So they, they did nothing, nothing, nothing. So I had him. Okay. And so he makes the opening statement. He has the letters in his hand. He says, Judge, you know, well, Mr. Bonatati has, you know, has informed me that Compaval is over 45 days old. Um, he has these letters from his um, doctors he'd like to have you read. He was like a little, you know, he, he, I, I said to him, if, if you don't act on my behalf, I will get you dismissed. I will present to the court how you've been grossly negligent, derelict of duty. Tell me you're going to do Jartha after a favor, and then I'll sue your corrupt ass. And so basically, just like I was suing the other attorneys. I was suing the, the law firm Mager and Mager, the executors in the probate matter. I was suing Cotter and Mullins. And prevail, I was prevailing in front of all these senior attorneys in front of Judge Stevens' arguable motions. And praise Jesus, because I would go in, I do my homework, I go into court, 
I'd be sitting there. I'd pray the 91st Psalm, literally open my little pocket Bible. For some reason, I can memorize sections of that. I haven't managed to fluently memorize the whole 91st Psalm because my mind is so much going on. You know what I mean? But the 23rd, I got memorized, right? And so I would do my invoke, you know, I'd invoke the Holy Spirit. I'd say, take my mind, take my voice, take my thoughts, speak through me. You know what I mean? Just like it says in the Gospels, at some point, you, hold on, Jenny, there's a loud weed eater here, and I'm a little distracted. I'm going to close the window or a leaf blower. And, um, and so at that point, you know, you give it over to God. You, get, you give it over to spirit. And I would try and be receptive and allow the thoughts to come that I felt were being imparted as they came. Because I can fill my mind and my ears and my files with all kinds of information and all kinds of like, even with you and I, you know, put in links and everything. And then I pray before we talk. And that's why I like to listen to you sing to invoke God, because I want to bring to this show what you and your listeners can, what God would have me bring to this show to help people. Right. And also for them to have ears to hear. You know, and in, in the call-in show page, I put the link to the Substack post that I put together yesterday that has all 51 links of backup articles and data that you shared with me. So that for those who are seeking to help themselves in a similar situation can do, go do their own research. And while William's case was specifically tied to the Catholic Church, there are many churches that have been involved in these types of networks. And it doesn't really matter what the institution is that caused the, the childhood abuse or the satanic ritual abuse in your situation, you can use these same tactics in your own court and legal situations, especially if you've been declared mentally unfit or somebody's trying to do a conservatorship. William has walked these paths and it sounds like you got the conservatorship kicked to the curb. Is that what happened? Yeah. yeah what happened was within about 10 minutes, I said to the judge when, when, Chris said to me, is there anything, you know, Judge, anything you want to add to this, Mr. Bonatati? I said, well, you know, Judge, I said, uh, I got three file boxes here. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I said, you want to start with my banking? Do you want to go? You know, where do you want to start? He just looks at the letters and, you know, he, he just flipped through. You can tell he's looking at the company. And he looks up at the, my file box. He's looking at the conservator and garden. He just goes, there's no evidence to involuntarily conserve this man for person in the state. He says, dismissed. I I love it. Well, and you know what? There is a a line in the Bible that says, if you're prepared, you shall not fear. And and you were prepared. You were ready to go to bat. And uh, boy, that's a great story. So how long was it from that day to when you were sent to the mental hospital? Yeah, what happened is that judge, okay, I had, uh, see, there's other cases here. One was I was in and out of the hotels and extended stay in Hilton Hampton long-term stays because I was getting the brain MRIs at Sloan and Yale Smilo and no one on Craigslist wanted to run to me. This tumor killed my uncle. And, and I, understandably there were, I had nice people talking to me. I'd love to rent you, but I got a mortgage to pay. I got rent to pay. What if you get sick or you end up, you know, I said, yeah, I know. I get it. Don't worry about it. I couldn't get anybody to rent to me. So my, fallback was extended stay long-term hotel stay and and the bottom line is you think the used car industry is corrupt try the hotel industry if there's 300 rooms it's for 300 rates no matter what the best rate guarantee is they're 
verbiage, you know, that they blah, 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 the programs that are available online, whatever. It's corrupt. Don't forget, you know, the hotel industry, <laughs> the mobs were involved in that Las Vegas. You know what I mean? They're still involved in the hotel industry. You know what I mean? And so the bottom line is completely corrupt. And, and try and <laughs> anyway, so get back to judge, the judge who tried to get me involuntarily conserved. He railroaded me in a housing hearing. There was contract fraud uh, with Hilton Hampton. Um, and I was fighting that. And because there's contract fraud, there's felony credit card fraud. Of course, the, the charges on the credit card are so, in that case, were a Hilton Hampton American Express credit card rewards card. There's all, without getting into all the details, FTC violations, uh, you have federal and state violations. And again, I don't know these things when they happen. I search Mr. Google, be it Cornell Law EDU or Connecticut Judicial Case Lookup, you know, or basically if you if you Google a subject that's legal, you'll find it today, you know, some link somewhere. And caught.net, the pro se way, the link I mentioned yesterday that, that there's, you start to compile this re, this network of resources and you know, they reinforce one another and then the people come into your lives and God works miracles, you know, things start to move. So anyway, so what happened was I learned from caught.net, the pro se way, how to fight a corrupt judge, the link to file a motion to open on a case that has been cited by a corrupt judge before you get to the appellates. Motion to open pursuant fraud on the court, abuse of judicial discretion. So I was having my, what was supposed to be my third motion open hearing outing a corrupt judge in front of another judge. Whenever you're having a motion open hearing, it's before a different judge. Do you follow me? Because you're accusing the prior judge of abuse of judicial discretion. Okay. So anyway, there was supposed to be a third one. And that's the one before that I had a cop at my door from the Shelton Police Department and a state trooper together. And they're they're both saying basically they, that uh, the judge wanted respect. I mean, this is typical mob crap, right? I open the door. There's two cops. Okay. I, I want to know exactly the the days. How many days was it between your court case and when those guys showed up? Oh, uh, let's see. The probate hearing was in April, and this goes back. I'm um, like 2017, so I'm trying to give you the best date line. I, I, it was like April 25th. That's my recollection. I got arrested in the courthouse on June 8th. So between April 25th and June 8th, I got a visit from a state trooper and a Shelton cop. Now, the Shelton police officer, chief of police, is a former state trooper. So they work together, Okay. And the Shelton police had already illegally arrested me with a church arrest, which I had gotten dismissed. And what I did was, because I got fee waivers, because I was under 125% of the poverty level, hadn't got my SSDI yet, was disabled, I wrote a fifth lawsuit where I finally got approved to be served with fee waivers and what's called a fee waiver hearing in front of the administrative judge in the courthouse to sue the Christian Counseling Center of St. Paul's. When you sue the police, you sue the city. So to sue the city of Shelton, do you follow me? The police were defendants. And also the Rape Crisis Center executive director, Tony Vitti, was a defendant because they worked together with the state attorneys and the cops in their district to help victims. Well, they weren't helping me. They were they were railroading me. 
you know, on a criminal matter and the church issue. And so, and there was the hotel issue. This was all happening along with the probate issue. I went through the fire between 2014 and 2000, and even to president, the inspector general uh, police oversight bill, they're covering this all up still. Uh, but the, the, the bottom line is that, um, so I, I, I was like, uh, you know, I, you know this compressed course to, to 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 learn the law in all these different courts: the probate court, the housing court, the civil court, the criminal court. You see, even I had a pellet case. Um, uh, you know, and uh, so it's interesting when I when I used to talk to the chief deputy public defender, who became an ally. He wrote emails to the supervisor public defender in Milford. He was willing to testify on my behalf. You get someone like that willing to testify. You know, they're going to dismiss the case. He's an expert witness. Do you follow me? Brian Carlo. So, but the point I'm trying to make is that um, it, it, Brian used to say to me, he goes, Bill, I know, I know defense law. He goes, you know more about probate law, more about housing law, more <laughs> about family law, because I have a family case, <laughs> which involved a corrupt landlord and some other brought the family. And that's another thing I could help people with, how to how to fight that, how to fight well, corrupt William, landlord. I, yeah. I need to start winding down now because I'm determined that I will still make lunch for my husband. Here okay, okay. So let's let's try to wrap it up within five, maybe ten minutes. All right, and let me let me get I'm go sorry. Go ahead and I, I, leapfrog to the next step so that we understand. I mean, we were gonna talk about you being in the mental hospital for two months for most of the show. We haven't even really gotten there yet. So yeah. go ahead and share whatever you can in these ten minutes. Okay, so bear with me. I'm gonna talk quick. I don't normally talk this fast, but I'm trying to get it all in. So what what happened here is that between the 25th, which was the attempt to get me involuntary concerned of April, and the arrest, which was in the courthouse, in the clerk's office, uh, when I was just filing subpoena requests for, for, to out the judge in the third motion open hearing, they didn't want to let that happen. So they arrested me. First, they came to my house saying the judge wants respect. I said, what, what do you, you think you're going to intimidate? You're going to stop me from litigating? I said, get the hell out of here. I said, arrest me if you have to. You know, and so they left. And then it was in the courthouse they arrested me. They claimed that the service center manager claimed I was harassing her. I never saw her all day. She was at the other end of the building. You know, they have people in the courthouse that, that they're going to act to protect one another. This is what they do to protect the judges, protect the system. So anyway, so on that one, the, another comp eval. Now they used Yale for this one. Keep imagine Yale Law School, Yale Divinity School, you know, Yale Psych, you know what I mean? And uh, so, you know, they're protecting the church, Yale Divinity School. You follow me? Yale Law. They're protecting their co-conspirators in crime, essentially, that are protecting the church. You see what I mean? Or protecting whoever they want to protect. So so I go to Yale and I in the Haven uh, and I get another vow by a Dr. Zong. I call him Zing Yu Zong. And uh, uh, the intern is there, and Michael Boondoggle Boynton, my, I call him Boondoggle right through it. I said, you couldn't fight your way over Peppa Bag. I said, the, the, the Trooper Belize wrote an exculpatory report on my behalf that they buried. That's another thing. You get good cops that will be on your side if you're fighting on the right side of justice, if you're fighting on the right side of God. And there are always good cops in the middle. However, they bury those reports. So um, here I am, and Dr. Zing Yuzong determines 
after getting what you know the what I call the Trump test, which is a senility test, basically count back from 100 by sevens, say these words forwards, these words backwards. I ask you a bunch of mundane questions, blah blah blah, and then again I I, I out them by quoting the Gospels and just saying you don't have probable cause. This whole thing's a railroad job. Show me a harassing email. Show me harassing voicemail. You have nothing to corroborate the hearsay claim. Then someone can claim you're harassing them by voicemails or emails, but if they don't show the evidence, there's a reason. Where's the evidence? Okay. Nonetheless, before the judge in the hearing to determine whether I was competent, Zinger Zong testifies possibly restorable the competency upon incarceration and widening CBH. And so at that point I turned to Boondoggle Boy and said, You're gonna you're gonna put up an affirmative defense? That's what you do. You put you make affirmative defense. You gotta cross examine this man. You know, attack his credibility, attack, the, the, the explain that he's perjuring himself because there are no harassing emails. What's he testifying to? Where are they? You're many, you see what I'm saying? Where's the voicemails? Don't exist. So anything he's saying is a lie. Okay. And so he wouldn't. So then I said, to, finally, I was, I said, look, Mike, I need to. So finally, Boynton says, Mr. Bonatati would like to ask the court a few questions. So Judge Ronan says, okay, I'll give you. You have a few minutes, Mr. Bonatati. What is it? I said, well, first of all, I want to cross-examine Dr. Zong. Nope, nope, we're going to let you do that. Now he's obstructing me for creating my own firm of defense. He goes, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple sentences. I said, well, if I'm so delusional and bipolar with grandiosity complex, how is it that the, the Department of Justice, Deidre Daly, indicted Joe Castellano, the CPA my father's probate matter, and he's been indicted and is going to prison? And Joe Mager, the executor with that courthouse right across, uh, that's office right across the street, is the executor who didn't vet the accounting, and he's a co-conspirator. That's enough, Mr. Bonatati. That's it. Cuff him, put him down the hole, take him off to Whiting. And so where, is, where is Whiting? Of, what is Whiting? Is that the hospital? Whiting CBH is the full max lockdown institution in Middletown, Connecticut, and. Consider for a class C misdemeanor, alleged harassment too, with no corroborating evidence. I ended up in a psych ward with murderers, rapists, arsons, you name it, that were criminally insane, that killed people, burnt places up. It's a full max security lockdown psych ward. And the, the agenda there became clear. One, to intimidate, to coerce, because they'd already offered me a nolly, the state. They had no intention of going to trial, but I wouldn't take the nolly. I told them to drop the case. You don't have evidence. So now they have to prove allegedly I'm crazy. You see, I'm delusional. I'm bipolar. You know, there is no hard evidence. None. They've never presented an email. What am I saying in my emails? What I'm telling you on the show? You follow me? It's all there. Trooper believes he did a full cybercrime investigation. He calls me up. Troop H, great guy. He goes, Mr. Bonatani, I'm looking at your emails. He says, is this guy Brian Carlo helping you? Former chief deputy public defender. I go, oh, not as much as I'd like. He goes, let me ask you something, Mr. Bonatani. How do you get arrested reporting crimes? <laughs> I said. <laughs> it depends on who the criminals are. I'm like. Good question, Trooper Belize. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm litigating. I'm suing people. He goes, oh. <laughs> right? I said, I'm suing three law firms. I said, he goes, oh. I said, are you at your computer? He goes, of course I am. I said, at that time, when you, the, the, all these are 
listed in your uh, what's called in Connecticut, Connecticut judicial case lookup. So if you're in Delaware, it'd be Delaware judicial case lookup wherever you are. And if you have a civil suit that's active uh, under your name, even if you have a criminal case that's active, you could find under the name of the parties involved or the lawyers or whatever, you can find the cases, right? So real quick, like if you want to say, who is this guy, Bonatati? Let's see these four arrests. Has he been convicted of anything? You can go to Connecticut Judicial Case Lookup, put in the name on the defendant, Bonatati, and you'll find a big fat zero on the criminal. You see what I mean? There's your evidence. I've never been convicted, never took a plea bargain. But if you look my name up on online, you'll say, what a big jerk this guy is. You see what I mean? He's been arrested four times. Most of the time when you get sent to a hospital like that or a facility, uh, you're only in for a couple of days. How are they able to hold you for two months? Yeah, good question. Okay, so, so okay, based on Dr. Zing Yuzong, uh, Yale, got to use the, you know, very important, you know, don't forget who grad Dershowitz, you know, is a Harvard lawyer, uh, what is it, uh, Yale graduate, you know, <laughs> consider what comes out of there. You know what I mean? Dershowitz represents murderers and whatever, however you feel. I know I feel about him. Epstein. You know yeah, what I mean? He, he spent yeah. some time on the old island. Yeah, exactly. That too. But he claims he got a massage with his underwear on by an old lady called Olga. <laughs> Come on, you can't make this up. <laughs> really? <laughs> they hired an old lady just for him to give him a massage. You know what I mean? Unbelievable. And she was, and she was ugly too, right? Where's of course, Olga. She was like, I'm trying to name. <laughs> you know, I mean, ugly name too. You know, I mean, the stuff they make up is unbelievable. So anyway, so, so how did I end up two months in writing? So the allegedly to be restored to competency to assist my public defender to go to trials, which they never had, never intended to have. Because they were offering me nollies. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so they, so they now, just wanted you to, they wanted you to be, you know, out of sight, out of mind, tuck you away. Did they force you to take medications? Okay. They attempted to. Here, again, they have to give you in the state of Connecticut, not Rhode Island, where they forced uh, Selexis and Risperdal on me when I was there. Involved, well, I got committed because attempting suicide. But here, for the criminal thing, they have to bring you for probate court. And so the treatment teams, of course, their agenda was to follow. They even said to Boondoggle Boynton while they had me in the hole behind bars for three hours before they brought me up to Whiting, which was quite an experience. Um, anyway, that what. He comes down. I said, uh, Mike, I said, this is interesting. They're going to attempt to have me conserved again. He goes, yep, they are. This is my public defender. Yep, you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, thanks for your help. Have a nice day, Mike. We all die someday. Even Jacqueline died. <laughs> Every pharaoh died, Mike. Have a nice day. You know what I mean? So I believe in divine justice. He'll get his. So anyway, was that the last time you ever had contact with him? Oh, no, no. And when I come out of the psych ward, he was my public def- supervisor, supervisor, I call him public. I don't stutter either. Supervisor, public pretender again. Okay. Until I got him, I, I found a motion to withdraw appearance for him, get rid of his corrupt butt. So anyway, so what happens is, so I'm, I get put in whining. And I'm going to all the meetings, and um, I'm looking up, they got a board there. And so two months in there, incarceration, to allegedly be restored to competency. There's no law school in there. You know what I mean? There isn't anybody manning the law library, which has got an old law rule book in it. It's a library. All that that means is we're going to medicate this person 
to the right. point where they cannot advocate for themselves and then problems over. That, that for them, yeah, that's it. It's very draconian. It's it's almost like something you'd hear from some Orwellian or you know Albert Huxley, uh, you know, uh, Brave New World kind of thing. You're like, you can't believe this is actually really happening, you know. So, but for me, like for example, when they had me in the hole, uh, I say the hole, the jail in the in the bottom of the courthouse. The the courthouse in Milford's an old jail uh, police station, by the way, and so. They got me in the hole and I'm down there and I'm looking around. And I'm like, well, you're sitting on a metal slab because they got no mattress, but the, the slab has got a lip on it, like to retain a mattress, but there's no mattress there, you know, and I'm there three hours and 400 pounds with needing hips done backs and, you know, it's painful. And I'm sitting on this slab and there's a lip on it to retain the uh, mattress, but it's digging into my hamstrings. If I lay flat, I'm laying on a metal slab, you know what I mean? They give you a bologna sandwich in a paper bag. That was my pillow. You know what I mean? If I was going to lay, it was three hours. And then, but I look around and there's a toilet and there's a sink and I'm looking around and, you know, I'm saying, well, Lord, I'm not chained. I'm not, you know, sitting in feces and there's no mice running around. I got it pretty good compared to you and Paul and all the disciples. Literally, I'm saying this to myself. I said, it's uncomfortable, but this is the minor test. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I know you're bringing me in there for a reason. I don't know what it is. And so just then, one of the marshals who was my friend, Big Zeke, he's even bigger than me. I'm 6'2", 400-something pounds. He's like 6'4". And he comes down and he goes, man, every time you praise Jesus, they arrest you, brother. You're the real deal. <laughs> I love it. I said, "Yeah, brother, how you doing? You know, you get to be friends with the good guys. The good guys want to, you know, they like I said, they they sit in the hearings, they hear what's going on. They, yeah, what, what are they gonna do next? What to crucify you? Yeah. <laughs> Up on Calvary's hill, nailed to a cross. You know, I said, no, man, they're gonna try and give me a chemical lobotomy. He goes, oh God, no. He says, well, I sure hope they don't succeed at that, my friend. I said, they. Don't worry, Zeke. I believe in the power of the Lord. I'll be fine. And so I knew what the agenda was. And I knew I was going to a full max lockdown thing where they could put me in a straitjacket in a rubber room if they wanted to. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Talk to people who've been to prison. They're like, you've been in Whiting? Well, what they did, they're, they're like, the, the people in prison are afraid of Whiting because they know they can medicate you into zombie land. Yeah, That's, they, they don't want to end up in Whiting. Do you follow me in the state run max psych ward? Because that's where you can get, you know, truly Medicaid. disabled, truly disabled. Yeah, the I've been there. I've been there. Right. I know how it feels. Right. So now, so, so, so now what does Bill do? He, he's like, I'm, Hey, I start writing reports to the DOJ in the Haven and DOJ in Washington, civil rights, disability. And I've wrote a 40 page report. Um, I've got, me, I walk around, and I'm like, this is like goodwill hunting, you know, Matt Damon. And yes. I know about the DSM-5 and, and the NIH at that point, and the fact that SSRIs, from what I read, don't work with the shit anyway. And there's no blood test or urine test to prove you have a chemical brain imbalance. They don't exist. They have one that is irrelevant because your serotonin levels and your hormone levels vary on your sleep. Whether you get enough sleep or not, whether you get upset about something, there, there's no reliable test to determine that. And that's a fact. So, Absolutely. 
right? And the latest report, of course, Mark, uh, uh, Tom Cruise talked about, you know, I know he's Scientology, but he talked a long time ago, we talked about how these drugs, Ritalin, all this other stuff, you know, um, there is no proof that anyone work to really benefit you know some people make it i don't want to disparage people to take them don't get me wrong but for me i knew after being on risperdal and selexis that was not helping me i needed my brain clear my mind clear because to fight the devil and to pray the gospels etc etc i need to be dummy down and i actually lost my balance walking down the hallway when i was in landmark hospital they had me so drugged up next thing you know, i felt like somebody was pulling me and i fell against the wall you know what I mean? Jesus Christ, the level they had me on, you know, anyone who's been on those drugs knows, like you and I, that they do not help you. There, there's none. Well, I, I, sh I shudder to think about me driving a car that year. Wow. I was driving my car. I was always on my bike, you know, and I, I remember one time I did crash with my daughter on the back seat, you oh know, and I hit my head on the curb. And, you know, we both could have died so easily that year, but we were we were being protected. Okay, we gotta wind it down. They they definitely tried to dope you. How did you how did you fight them off? Okay, what happened is so I'm writing these letters and the FTS floor people, by the way, the DOJ was investigating whiting at that time and I was there October, November, going into December uh two thousand seventeen. The DOJ was investigating and CMS because Department of Justice, because they had had a death in Whiting where the cops held down someone who choked on a Twix bar, held them down, didn't do it, didn't clear the throat, didn't do it. I don't know what the hell was going on there. And then there's a, the other one was this guy, um, Shahadi, where they the video surveillance showed they were putting diapers on his head, dirty diapers, squatting over him and farting on him, you know, bare ass. These are the attendants. You follow me? Uh, and yeah, so, I was I was raped by four of those guys. I I know how they operate. Unbelievable. So I get put in there right after they walk off. Thirty four Whiting employees, thirteen of them end up fired uh, eventually. Um, others were walked off for knowing and not reporting it. You follow me? So I'm in there right on the heels of that, and they brought a bunch of guys in from Juvie to do the floor work, FTS. I don't know what that stands for. I forget. But anyway, and then you got your treatment team that's going to meet with you. You got your unit director. And then they had what happened here is I got involved in what's called the steering committee, so I was meeting with administration. And the steering, and I what I did was I walked around the yard, and here I am, 400-plus pounds, and the, you know, the big yard there. and you know, But I don't fear people. I believe in God. and you know, and I've been in the NFL, CFL. I don't fear people. I know some martial. I'm, I'm not afraid to be in with, you know, rough guys. Do you follow me? I, the, the, you know, I mean. So anyway, I, I was less so, afraid of the patients than I was of the staff. And that's for good reason. So you know, I'm walking around. I'm talking to people, and and I got my pocket Bible, and you know, I actually have people end up praying with me and telling me about their stories, satanic ritual abuse. Uh, do you think God can forgive me? I killed this person because. I, and one thing I I, I want to say, Jenny, I want to jump in and and be brief with this. Everybody I met in there had a story, and it wasn't an alibi of child abuse, of some type of abuse from, of one form, not all of them were molested, but some were, and some were demonic ritually abused. And, and it just, my heart broke because I realized no one comes out of the mother's womb when red tights and horns and, uh, you know, uh, uh, a tail, something happened, right? No, some, of the, some of the finest people I've ever met in my life, William, are the, the other patients I crossed paths with. 
and my yeah. many my several hospitalizations. Yeah, one girl I met, she was in for 10 felonies. And I'm talking to her, I said, how did you manage to do that? She even had her hand was all swollen because she freaking laid into one of the nurses. I'm like, what? And she, I said, what's, what's going on? Well, her story was her mother was a crack addict and her and her sister, whenever her mother needed money, she would sell the girls for money to the uncle and the father for sex. And sometimes the mother would join in. And so what yeah. you had here is generational, obviously the mother was abused. And so she, you know, was sick and pimping out her own girls. I know. I know. Right. Pimping out her own girls. Right. And so she's like, but now this girl was, you know, good size and she was a little on the heavy side, obviously to protect herself. And, and she's like, no one's ever going to, this nurse is trying to get me to do something. She put her hands on me. And I just let her have it. And then it's, her hand was all swollen. She goes, they won't bring me for an X-ray and everything. I said, hold on a minute. I said, you got 10 felonies because you've, you've threatened people with knives with this, that. I said, you know, you're smart enough to know that, you know, not everybody that you're encountering like the nurse is your perpetrator, but you're transferring that rage to that person. And so there here, this woman is just trying to maybe, maybe being a little stubborn who knows, I don't know why, but she kind of just tried to move you along a little bit. She didn't hurt you. She didn't punch you. No, no. I said, so you have a choice. You can keep, you have to use discernment to determine what, what, you know, are you always going to react that way at full throttle? Or are you going to, she goes, you know something? You're absolutely right. She goes, I appreciate you telling me. That. I mean, I actually enjoyed being there because to me, I didn't have to fight my legal battles during that time. I had to file motions for continuance. Once I got those in, then it was like, huh, for two months. It was a rest. It was a vacation, right? <laughs> yeah, to me, it was literally, I said, I remember watching the movie One Flew of the Cuckoo's House. I'm going to, this is going to be great. I'm going to feed me. I'm going to be able to chill. They, you know, whatever, walk out in the yard. I like go to the gym. You know, they got some activities. You know, that, this is cool. I mean, literally, it was like a vacation. It was like a summer camp in my, you have to have a paradigm shift. I can a get vacation to the, from my problems. Amen. Bill, amen. Bill, it was, tell me, like, and, uh, what about Bob? No, listen, we got to wind it down, William. We could talk okay. all day. But um, I just a note on the weight gain, I've had so much cortisol stress myself and the, the fluffiness of you patting yourself up. When I was remembering being raped and then impregnated twice, and then those babies were aborted and used for ritual sacrifice. Oh, God, um, I'm so sorry. I've been healing that for the past two and a half years. And in the midst of the worst of my um, putting it back together, I ballooned up to 368 pounds. Wow. And I have been a big gal my whole life. But this is like me at the fattest of the fat. And in the last year, I've lost 50 pounds. But, you know, I was just like a puffer fish. And that is also yeah. a witness to anybody who's curious you know, of what we suffer, you know, yep. that those assaults on me and two of my own children, you know, who are aborted to be sacrificed to Satan. That was the worst that I experienced. And as I have read and reconciled other women who have gone through similar experiences, we all agree that is the ultimate satanic ritual. It's done all over the world. And those of us who have come to the other side and remembered, reconciled, and now I feel like I'm finally, finally feeling healed from all of that. Um, we just want to reach out to everyone else 
who has walked the similar path, been victimized by people in their own family, their own church, their own neighborhood, school, community. And we're here to tell you that you can heal. You can, you can live a life. You can have a voice. And it has been in me speaking and yelling and blogging my truths that I have found peace. And it's no, you know, people have said to me, why wouldn't you stay quiet about that? Don't you want to have a nice life, you know, a quiet life? To me, the quiet life would be hell. Because I would constantly have that internal combustion of wanting to say something but feeling silenced. Wanting to help someone but feeling like I can't share with them what I experienced. And it was in my determination to say, no, I will speak out about this that I have found healing. And so speaking your truth, writing it, podcasting it, that is so powerful. And that would be the final thing I would say to anybody listening. I don't think I'm going to do a show on this again, William. I really don't. I've spoken enough about it. We've shared our stories here today and yesterday. Um, I, I get very distressed when I talk about it. And I don't want that in my life either. So this is going to be the final, final. This was more about you telling your story, but I've also shared a lot of my story in it. And it's, it is, I, I just do not want to talk about this ever again. So do you have any final words for anyone who, like us, has trod the, the victim path, you know, who's looking for some salvation in this life? We know we're going to get it in the next life, but anything you want to share as a final wrap up. Yeah. Two quick things I want to touch on on the legal basis. Knowledge is power. One other quick thing, a Fernando A hearing. If there someone nails you with a nonviolent protective order, protective order, restraining order, and you feel that's unjust, you can have your attorney file a Fernando A hearing and challenge that. That's important because just because the judge grants it, he's only heard one side at that point. You follow me? When someone hits you, gets you, you get a restraining order on you, a nonviolent restraining order for allegedly harassing the service center manager. That whole thing was a fraud. You see what I mean? What's the evidence that there isn't any? So, of course, can I get my public defenders to file for that hearing? No. But when I was on Facebook and I was involved with criminal justice reform groups and socials, people were thanking me for learning about these things, the, everything I've shared with you, including the last two motions I talked about, Pitch's motion to uncover corrupt cops, uh, you know, complaint history, and then the Fernando A hearing. People who are in, you know, very involved in, in um, uh, and, and there could be a future show on our criminal justice system, the, the incarceration rates, all the problems involved with that. But well, so you, anyway. co- you cover that. I'm going to stick with parental rights, which, yeah, okay. you know, that may go into legal stuff too, but I really, I, that is not my expertise at all. So you cover it. Yeah. I have. I have, and I will. Um, and, and then there was a call in that I joined uh, uh, also. So regarding um, it, okay, so just to wrap the story up as quick as I can, I know you need to go. You come out of whiting, the allegedly restored to competency. Now you still got the corrupt same public defenders trying to railroad you. So there's motions you can file, withdraw appearance for your public defender. You can learn to file motions for dismissal. Again, in the law rulebook, caught.net, the pro se way to dismiss the case. You can file 
uh, a motion to recuse of the corrupt judge, which I did, the one who ran me into Whiting, and then the administrative judge in the courthouse, if you feel that they've never honored your motions to re-argue, reconsider in the past, which he didn't, then you can follow a peremptory challenge judicial authority for him. And they brought in an administrative judge from uh, Juvie to dismiss the case. Again, knowledge is power. It's nothing my public defender did. No, they were looking to get, you know, of course, do the worst. So uh, I hope I planted some seeds on, and I will continue to talk about this on my own um, um, uh, call-ins and anyone else who wants to talk about it too, because you know, there's a lot to absorb here. And the more I can repeat it, the more people can hear it and share it, you know, the more people well, can help one another. This yeah. podcast will also be sent to iTunes and Apple Podcasts, and it will be hosted here on Colin. And, um, you know, if anybody wants to click over to my Substack, you will have just this litany of links, over 50 links that William shared with me about further evidence, things you can do, legal, legal resources. And so there are solutions and, and helpers out there who do really want to help. So um, I'm going to wind down the show. Thanks again, William, for being my special guest these past two days. I hope the three hours that we have crafted together will prove helpful. And it is my prayer that anybody listening will feel greater peace in their hearts as we go into the millennial reign. The millennium is upon us. It's right around the corner. And uh, that's going to be a peaceful time. I actually think we're going to go through like a thousand years of healing. That it, these years are going to be marked by everybody healing all of this intergenerational stuff. And so we're right on the cusp of that. It's a very exciting time. Thank you, William, again. Any final, final? Uh, uh, praise Jesus. And thank you, Lord, uh, for bringing me and Jenny together and, uh, and, and for, for you facilitating, uh, uh, you know, the message to get out to others and uh, I, my sincere prayers and best, uh, I don't know what else to say other than God bless everybody. And, and, and But my heart it, goes out to people who are unjustly treated as children and then encounter this as adults. It's just shameful. And, and, and and so I'm really great, grateful, sister, that the Lord brought us together to help others. And amen. Amen and amen.